0: Boy, you lot, you listen to Garage Hammer, episode 149. On tonight's episode, the Fat Manling talks to a whole bunch of people about how to work on hobby stuff that isn't necessary paint and models, because sometimes... You just focus on painting your models and you may need a break to do something else. Or maybe that's all you're doing and your hobby table or your gaming table or your terrain or something like that is lacking and you maybe need to work on that. So he's going to focus on that. Of course. He did spend half of the first part of the show talking about painting models, so it's not really about not painting models, but he's kind of a confused fat modeling. So, you know, just give him a break. He's not all that bright, is he? No, he's really not. It's just, it's kind of pathetic. Shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the garage, you tools For the next few hours, I'll be doing the best I can To share with you my love of tabletop wargaming And probably some of my various other fandoms Bringing you photography, gaming tables, and new and used scenarios I'm David Whitech, And with me as usual at the top of the show is Lindsay, the Canadian albino hockey puck Um... Last episode, Lindsay helped me with the show sponsors, and I'm not going to have her do that again this episode because a lot of people got confused. They couldn't hear her. Uh, I'm not certain if it's because she's albino or because she's uh, Canadian or because she's a hockey puck. But um, yeah, people were adjusting their levels and contacting me and saying they couldn't hear her. I hear her just fine. But you know, then again, I'm the guy who hired the master engineer and I have conversations with him and stuff like that. So I don't know. But um she's here. Say hello, Lindsay. Yeah. I don't I yeah, I don't know why they couldn't hear you either, but you did a good job and I appreciate the job you did. But we're just gonna I'm just gonna do this myself this time, so uh we're gonna take a little moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, and they are Unique Gifts and Games in Ray's Lake, Illinois. Mercia Miniatures, that's M-I-E-R-C-E hyphen miniatures.com. The TC War Room in Traverse City, Michigan. And eh, You ain't wrong. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. For all your MDF needs, um, you know, bits of uh, bases, new terrain stuff. They're doing a lot of uh, plastic uh, tokens and things like that. Um, They sent me some really cool prototype stuff, Uh, actually, and I think they're going to make them a little larger, uh, but they're really cool, Uh, like the terrain markers and stuff like that. Maybe uh, if you're just rolling a dice and using terrain markers, uh, some really cool things. Uh, And not just for AOS. There was some really cool, like some charge markers and stuff like that with a little horse with a guy with a lance on it. It says charge on it. Some really neat stuff. Um, And of course, Battle Foam, protecting your army. Um, all right, so let's get into this before we get into our hobby talk. Um, we've gotten emails from a bunch of listeners, responses to my question at the top of last episode. Um, overwhelmingly, uh, people saying stick with that fluff coverage, Dave, stick with what you know, cause that's what you do best is talking that fluff coverage. And I, I guess I do. I, I, I guess fluff coverage is, is what I tend to do. Uh, I guess that's what I do best. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to do that every episode. Um, there's other things I'd like to cover. Um, you know, I, I may not cover strategy as well as the guys from, uh, you know, Face Hammer or the guys from uh, Bravery One, you know. Um, um, but, you know, I do like to talk about that at times, too. Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of everything. You know, today we're going to talk a little hobby. Basically, because I needed a break from all that reading. There's a lot of reading to do, um, uh, but considering I got at least a half a dozen books I haven't scratched yet, and all the books I'm still, you know, trying to cover and review, that is not fluff coverage is not going to be, be a problem. Um, I did have some other cool suggestions that I thought were interesting. Uh, talk uh, some garage hammer with uh, a rage quitter who came back after the general's handbook came back. Someone who came back. See what they think of the general's handbook. Uh, maybe talk AOS with a new player who came over from 40K. There's apparently a bunch of players coming over from 40K, and it might be interesting to get their take on the whole AOS thing from a from a position of a 40K player. Um, also, I got a couple of people who asked for some of those live games, um, you know, where we just sort of play it out live on the table and sort of describe it to you and throw in some pictures and stuff. Um. May do that, may do that, may link that in with some YouTube videos, which we're going to get to in a minute. We're going to maybe start doing some of that, too. Uh, One person wants me to talk more about my one-day events and hopefully go to more tournaments and start covering more AOS tournaments. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to be doing that. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my one-day event, but not a ton. Uh, Going into long, detailed battle reports, I I can't... I, I. I used to do that and I was terrible at it I went way too long and even when you keep it short um unless there's something really interesting about it it's only interesting to the person who was playing the game that's my opinion you know and I could be wrong and I often am but you know whatever I, you know that it is what it is so uh what else I did get a couple of emails like just like today or just last night um Someone pointed out that Cetra's storyline was kind of wrapped up a bit in the second Archaon End Time, Lord of the End Times novel, or one of those Archaon books. So, I'm going to have to go back and read that. Um, and got an email uh, from someone who asked if I could put a timeline of the fluff together. Um there, uh, maybe get someone who's new into the game, who's really new into the game. Um, I got an email from a gentleman named Jerry Butts, and they just started listening. They're going through the old shows. They recently started AOS because they had a new, a new, a new GW store open, uh, and they started playing. And um, they'd like, you know, maybe someone who could put together a timeline for there and what's going on with the important areas and topics and things like that, and maybe I'll try to get something like that together. Um, what else? Anything else in here? We had a couple. Uh, nice nice email from a gentleman named Brian. said he's been listening to the podcast. He was a gamer who was enraged by AOS when it launched, but thanks to GW's hard work and positive fans like me, uh, he's done a 180 and done a turnaround. Uh, he put up a little blog post on the subject. And uh, it was a very nice one. And um, maybe I can try to throw a link up to that on the show notes. But just a bunch of emails, things coming in, people commenting here and there. Um, You know, I really really enjoyed uh, a couple of people replied when we talked about balance of power, not wanting to see uh, Chaos Eternals or Stormcast uh, Chaos things. Um, just some interesting stuff, but lots of response emails, um, haven't gotten any voicemails lately as of this recording, and if you did want to call and leave me a voicemail, you can call 1-757-GH-SHOW6, that's one seven five 757 gh show 6 international callers in most countries, dial 00, then 1-757-GH-SHOW6. Uh, okay, uh, one last thing, and then we'll hit our first break. Um, I started a Patreon. I did, and it is up and running. Um, and I've gotten quite a response to it. I am, uh, I am humbled and amazed and thankful. But I did start a Patreon, and you can find that at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash garagehammer. Uh, Our backslash garage hammer, whatever the heck it is, you know what it, you know what that looks like. You typed in the URL before, you're not stupid. Um, so, and there's some people to thank at the end of the show for this and things like that. Um, you can find out all the info at Patreon.com/slash garage hammer. Um, but the first couple of days have been a huge success. I set four major goals. Um... And for those of you uh, who don't know you, like I said, you can find the information there, but mainly it's um, to start maybe getting some, uh, you know, some, some stuff that I can start producing some video on YouTube and possibly start doing uh, the shows like live, like on a Mixler or something like that, so people um, can maybe start tuning in and, and listening to the show live as I record it and, you know, warts and all uh, before I get it uh, edited and out uh, to the public, um, you know, I'm not exactly certain, but we've got some of these things set up. Uh, these are the goals that I'm setting up, um, and we've already hit the first two, thanks to so many wonderful, uh, wonderful listeners who who jumped right in as soon as I announced it on the Facebook page and on on my Twitter account. Uh, so, if you've ever thought about helping out the show and helping it go to this next level, go to uh, video and to live uh, live feeds and things like that. Uh, check out the page. Um, See what I've got planned and what's going on there. And if you want to throw in some support, that's cool. Um, I've got some cool little uh, bonuses and rewards set up for people who support the show. Um, It's set up at a per episode level. So that would be like whatever you pledge would be double because it would be twice a month. Um, You can go in there and actually set it uh, to limit to uh, twice a month. So that way if I ever put out a bonus episode You know like Gen Con's coming up I might do an extra episode or something like that That it would only do twice a month So if there was any ever any extras it would, You wouldn't suddenly be like What is this triple charge It only should be double what I applied for um, But it's it's pretty cool It's a pretty cool thing And the people have been really Really supportive um, You know I mean I, It was the listeners who suggested it And, and, uh, and I did it And um, I'm really thankful This is going to really help Make sure that I can kind of take this, uh, take the show forward into the future. This has really sort of set the show where I can now keep doing it, if it keeps up like this and people keep, you know, doing this. It's it's kind of cool. I know I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, the idea that it, uh, trying to move to a fan supported base, um, is is a really kind of a cool idea, and I like it. So uh, I just want to say thank you again, to everybody, and I will be thanking a little, uh, do some thanks at the end of the show. I've got a few people in particular I wanted to uh, to thank, so I'll come back to that at the end of the show. Right now we're gonna take a quick break, as we always do, and when we come back, uh, news and rumors and the toolbox brought to you by, of course, Chaos Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore, Chaos Orc Superstore,
1: Chaos Orc Superstore, Chaos Orc Superstore.
0: Okay, I'm back. Time for news and rumors. Wow. Okay, haven't had a news and rumors segment in a couple of episodes, and now it's ridiculous. It's just it's, it's overwhelming how much stuff is out there right now. Um, okay. So we covered Sylvaneth, but All Gates also dropped. And I know you guys are expecting an All Gates episode or God Beasts uh, this episode. I haven't even gotten a chance to read all of that yet. All Gates has dropped. Um, we're going to cover that. Um, I've been flipping through it, and that looks so cool. Um, General's Handbook has dropped, and of course, everybody knows General's Handbook has dropped. If you don't know General's Handbook has dropped, um, leave the cave that you're living in and come out into the daylight. Uh, General's Handbook is, uh, in a nutshell, awesome. Uh, It's got the basic stuff for your your generic, you know, hey, I just want to hang out and play with my friends rules. It's got... The basics for campaigns. A lot of stuff for campaigns. And then it's also got stuff for match to play if you want to play with points. Um, uh, to keep it quick, uh, the point stuff is actually the shortest part in the book, and I think that's kind of cool. I think GW has really doubled down on their approach to this game, which is it's play it how you want to play it. It's not necessarily a game that needs points. Um, you can play... Um, you know, with scenarios and, and bring what you want and you know, the community has spoken. They want pools or points, and that's cool. Um but I think a lot of us are still playing even that within the realms of scenarios. Um I don't play just bring points anymore. Um, even at my my two tournaments, I know at Adepticon, it's bring points and then there's scenarios. Um, there's scoring units only certain types of units are scoring there's secondary and tertiary objectives um, th- there's no there is no more straight up battle lines anymore um it's like battle line is dead and and i don't I don't have a problem with that um, I don't mind points for the illusion that we're bringing all the same you know averaging about the same stuff um. But I, I think that the scenario play is really where this game shines. And I, I like that the points are there for the people who want them. And I think it's making a lot of people relook at the game. But I think it's also, it's obvious from reading this book where the focus is. And it's like, okay, here's your points. Um, but even that, you really want to take it into this realm of stories and scenarios and 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 games that are uh, unfolding stories and not just you stand there and I stand here and we Rochambeau until there's nobody left on one side. Uh, it's 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 just it's good. It's pretty good. Um, it's got flaws. Um, it's got a couple of rules that I looked at and said hmm. No, I don't like that rule. Cool thing about it is I've looked at it, and I know a couple of people have agreed with me. Um, I know when I run a tournament, I will change some of those rules. I know that when Alex Gonzalez runs his tournament, he's already said he's changing those rules. Herner, who runs Holy Wars, who's going to be on the show later, Steve Herner, he's going to change some of those rules because this whole – I mean, AOS is such a sandbox of here's – Here's here's a really thin set of rules, play it how you want to play it. And this general's handbook it does the same thing. All right, here's your points and here's your rules, and if you don't like it, then make it how you want it to be. Just fix it cuz you know they, they they don't mind. It's it's you know, buy our models and have fun with them how you want to have fun with them. It's it's it's, 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 it's the best thing it's the best thing and the worst thing, I guess, in ways. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like here's the stuff, and, you know, there's no, they're, they're not going to tell you you're having wrong fun. You know, <laughs> here's, here's our stuff. This is how we set it up. And if you don't like it, feel free to change it. Go ahead. We've got no beef with your changing it because if, if that's, if what we gave you isn't fun for you, we want you to have fun with our stuff. So make it fun, make it fun for you. And uh, so I like that about the General's Handbook. Uh, Bone Splitters has dropped. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, Games Workshop was kind enough to uh, send me um, some more some books to review. I've got the Bone Splitters, which I have to review. I literally, mine showed up like right after Ben Curry released his. So um, I'm not going to be as quick on the draw as Ben is. But I'm probably going to be more in-depth. Uh, with some of my reviews than other people, at least getting into the fluff and getting into the, the 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 minutia of some of the the stories and the uh, how they how that relates to the um, the war scrolls because I think the war scrolls make personally for me the war scrolls make more sense and are more fun when they relate to the to the fluff. Um, what else? The okay, this getting started in AOS magazine thing. It's like eight bucks and it comes with. The uh, the single uh, Stormcast Eternal sprue, the one that came with the White Dwarf when they first came out, dude. I saw this thing in the local game shop, and I got and it's like eight bucks. Um, and it looks like it's gonna be it's it's thick. It's probably what the White Dwarf is gonna look like, since the White Dwarf they said is gonna be like 150 pages. And this thing's great. It gives you the history, all of the AOS history, in in a quick comic book esque nutshell. Um, some of the really cool, sort of like that marker art that you saw in uh, in uh, Archeon and some of the beginnings of some of the larger um, campaign books. Gives you the quick history of AOS, gives you some painting guides, gives you some hobbying tips, um, and then it gives you the four-page rule set, but it's got eight pages of rules. Um, a couple of picture examples, um, a couple of little pull-out things. Um, so the four-page rule set has turned into an eight-page rule set. Uh not so much more rules, but just like I said, with a couple of pictures and a couple of things like that. Um, you know, going through that set of rules, I liked the eight pages a little better than the four. Um, it was a little more clear, a little less just columns of text, uh, a little more friendly to a new player, I think. So I liked that a lot. Um, the Shattered Dominion now we've got all this pre order stuff. Um, uh, the Battle Tome uh, Dominion of Chaos. I saw that on the website. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing that too. Thank you, GW. That's up for 33 bucks. That's uh, that's another Battle Tome, sort of like the uh, other, uh, the Chaos, the Dreadhold one. It's uh, you know uh, b- b- terrain and uh, and and the and the Shattered Dominion Realm of Battle Board. 330 bones. This is a gorgeous Realm of Battle Board. Um, it's 330 bones. You know, it's it's a realm of battle board. They're they're not they're not inexpensive, um, but they're really nice and they're sturdy, and um, and if you can afford them, they're cool. Actually, two of the two of the six squares, they have the the like the thing that's actually on them, the thing that's in the ground, the the the, the part of the terrain. Uh, they're actually those are um, features that have rules in the uh, the battle tome. Um, they're like terrain features that actually have rules, just like any other uh, uh, piece of terrain that you put on the board. Uh, which I thought was cool. Um, that's, but at least that's what I read on the website. Um, they have the Shattered Dominion bases now, so there are bases you could put. You could buy bases to put on your models that will match the tabletop that you can buy from Games Workshop. This is great, 33 bucks for this. You get a bunch of them. They have the 20 by 25, 20 and, uh, 25 mil bases. They've got the 33 30 and 40 mil bases. They've got the big oval bases, a bunch of different sets. If you just want more than ground and grass, if you want more than just putting on the uh, the sort of the uh, the textured technical paint stuff for the cracked earth. Um, you want something fancy, uh, a lot of people order resin bases from alternate companies. Lord knows I planned on it. Heck, I made my own fancy dwarf bases. You've all seen them. Uh, if you ever look on any of the stuff I posted for the show. And that stuff takes a lot of time. And if you like the way the Realm of Battleboard works, looks, if you like the Age of Sigmar um, aesthetic, They've custom bases for you to buy. All I got to do is paint them. <laughs> no extra work. Um, and, you know, it's about time. Uh, everybody else has been making these except GW. They've always had extra, like I have kits with, you know, bits of things you could put on your bases, you know, um, but never actual custom, you know, uh, you know scenic bases, you know, um, designed bases like this so uh it, it's about time <laughs> and they match the board so it's it's all fitting under this theme i think it's pretty cool i know they released some for 40k as well um and uh this is a good move this is a good move um because not everybody wants to go out and search a bunch of different companies looking for other things not everybody wants to make their own i'm not that creative um Lord knows i'm considering it uh and I had already been talking about doing other things for my bases um but i'm considering it i'm at least thinking about buying a couple of packs and just seeing how they look but um it' it'll be a lot easier it'll be so much quicker uh just depends on what I decide to go with for my uh for my table um I'm seriously considering the uh uh getting a, a lava volcanic world fat mat and if I do that I'm just going to keep with the volcanic bases anyway but once again basing, and table, going with where you go. If you like that if you like that Shattered Dominion board the Shattered Dominion bases are not a bad step so but I mean all of that's come out and I just saw today um, they were just posting pictures on the leaked on the rumors sites everywhere Uh, saw Bella Lost Souls and stuff like that was showing pictures of the I forget what it was even called, but it's the uh oh what is it the the ogre stuff the ogre stuff the thunder the ogre cavalry thunder tusk mania stuff that's coming up for pre order apparently in a week or two I mean wow let's talk about fast and furious stuff coming out left and right so destruction's getting a little more love uh, I think that's pretty cool uh I'm excited to see what they do if that's an all <laughs> ogre calf book like they're saying uh, and you see the picture of it, it looks like it it's Mornfang and Hunters with Thunder Tusks or, uh, the, the, the little Saber Tusks um, the Stonehorn and the those guys, that's a, that's a pretty cool book I'd, I'd like to see um, I'd like to see if we're going to stick with the destruction, I'd like to see the Moon Clan and the Night Goblins get a book Um, that would be a very cool book I think to see coming out. I mean, since we're going through that and we haven't gotten through the men and elves and dwarves, which I still think that's, that's probably going to be a, you know, I'm hoping that's going to be whatever the next campaign series is after the summer's over the summer campaign ends. Speaking of which we had our, our, uh, well, you know, I'll talk about that in the toolbox, but, uh, Kind of all over, aren't I? But that's, I mean, seriously, like <sighs> Sylvaneth dropped in June, end of June. Was it end of June? I think it was end of June with um, General's Handbook right on its heels. Uh, and All Gates on the same week, I think, is Sylvaneth. Or the week after that. Yeah, so it was like Sylvaneth, All Gates, General's Handbook, Bone Splitters, this Getting Started in AOS Magazine thing, Shattered Dominion is up for pre-order and from what we've seen in the pictures uh the grainy not in english pictures is ogres uh wow you know just coming out faster than i can faster than i can read it all but just, just there's there's something for everyone almost and you elf people will it'll be here soon um It's got to be here soon. There's not much left to do, so uh, it's it's kind of an exciting time. Uh, I'm not going to go into much more than this because I don't have any more for you guys right now. Other than we will be getting to reviewing all of this stuff. Um, There's just no reason not to anymore. I'm just going to start plowing through this, plowing through these books, bringing someone in who, if, if you know anyone I that I can see is really into this particular. Uh, book that I, if, I've if i got enough friends playing now who, someone who loves that particular book, I'm going to bring them in and we're going to cover that book together and we'll get to everything. I've got a bunch of people on know Oh, I haven't covered Stormcast since I'm doing it. And it's like, I missed it. like It's, it's one of those things, I kind of missed it and I never went back to it because I'm so falling behind. There's going to come a time where there's a lull, folks. They, they're not going to pump this stuff out at this rate forever. And when it hits that lull, you're gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be thankful. There's something to fall back on that I missed. Uh, Clan Pestilence book, the the Stormcast Eternals book. Um, these are these are my fallbacks that I sort of missed um, the first time around. So bear with me. Uh, we will get to everything eventually. All right. So uh, let's move on to the toolbox. Toolbox brought to you by Chaos Orc Superstore. What have I been doing? Plugging away on my Stormcast Eternals. I actually posted a picture of them the other day outside of putting the decals on my 33 Liberators and doing the bases, which I'm going to have to pop them off the bases and do that lava basing. I think I'm going to go with the lava basing. I will probably magnetize their feet and magnetize them to the bases um, just because I want to see how that works. I want to see how that goes. Although I may magnetize a, a, a small unit of 10 and see how the magnetizing works. And if it totally doesn't work, then I'm just going to drop the plan. But I want to be able to swap out bases. Uh, I think, you know, to match other armies. I don't think I want to do everything I own in the lava bases. But I've had this conversation before, and I don't think I need to have it again. I'm just confused, folks. I'm just confused. I'm I'm not certain where this is going. Um, You know, I mean when we used to play and we used to play in tournaments, you had to have all this stuff match and it it, it added, made for a nice aesthetic when it all matched. And so how am I gonna match when I don't know from army to army what's gonna look right or what's gonna look good or what's gonna go with their fluff in their realm. And the Stormcast, you know, they can they fight in any realm. So you know, But then again I'm the slowest painter on the planet I'm so slow I was supposed to have this entire Stormcast Army done by the end of summer And I've got like three weeks left And I'm halfway done with it And considering I was a quarter of the way done with it at the beginning of summer I stink um, and, and darn you Duncan For putting up a video That makes it look so quick to paint these things But um, I'm pleased with how they turned out at least I will be moving along to another unit uh, probably tonight after I, uh, after I edit and post this. I will move on to another unit tonight. And, um, and then again tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be priming the ogres that uh, I haven't primed yet. And Kira is going to start painting along with me. So that will do some. I will have someone here in the house with me who wants to paint, who will be pushing me to get more painting done. But, uh, yeah, my summer of painting and getting this entire army done was an utter failure, although I have gotten more work done this summer than I have during almost the entire school year, with the exception of Christmas break. Um, But that's neither here nor there. I don't expect this school year to be nearly as bad. Last school year was awful. It was awful. It was an awful school year. Now that it's done, can I say that? Can I just take a moment here to talk about my personal life? Last school year was awful. I had awful classes. The students weren't that bad. But I had I just had I had classes I'd never taught before, a bunch of different classes, classes I would oh, it was awful. Uh, this year promises to be much better, so there'll be more painting going on. Plus, uh, with the Patreon, I've got uh, Skype paint nights that I've promised to patrons. So, that will definitely be painting going on because I owe people. Um, but here we go. Let's see. Modeling. So, plug away on these Stormcast, And um, I finished these Liberators. And like I said, that's 33 out of a 75 model army. So, it's literally about almost halfway done. Um, um, I don't know if I'm not doing this technique properly, though you know i look at i watch the video and i paint these models i wanted to talk about this because like i'm going to give you an example so you take the cantor blue and you paint the shield okay and um then you come in with uh, the the black wash and you put a nice wash over all of the shield and you really get it into the corners like the lip of the gold part on the shield you know underneath between the gold and the blue and around all the edges where the hammer l- logo is make sure the wash gets in there pretty thick and i don't know if i'm supposed to lay the shield down flat when it's done oh by the way that's something else i learned i'm not i'm not putting shields on anymore like you know i i always pl- i like to you know i i'm i'm an impatient person i like to build models more than i like to paint them i think and uh, I'm an impatient person and wanting to get them and play around with them. I didn't want to just have the shield sitting off to the side. And so I put them on, which made it a pain to paint these models. And I know he paints them fully built on the on the, on the the video, but like he talks about how the black is supposed to get in on all the edges. Well, I know when I stood it up, but like how did it get underneath that? How did it pool very well? underneath the lip between the gold and the blue when gravity would pull it down from there like so kind of laying them down letting it dry a bit doing a second coat of the black just to make sure it got in there then you go back with the cantor blue and you put blue in and you come up towards the edge but not to the edge because you don't want to cover up that black wash and i'm looking at these models and it did either i screwed it up or i don't see (laughs) the black wash that much and maybe it's just it's subtle maybe it's more subtle than my 40 you know 44 year old eyes are are seeing uh maybe you know it could be me I mean there are parts that I know don't look like his as well I'm not as good of a painter as, as he is um and I'm following his technique you know um the blue along the edge of the metal shield you know the light blue edges on the metal um on the On the uh, shoulder pads, you know, taking that techless blue and just doing that thin blue light edge, a hard light blue line along the dark blue edge. Um, I look at people who can do subtle transitions where it's a hard blue edge that spreads down and slowly fades into the dark blue. Chris Yu's good at that, and and I know Steve Herner's good at that, and Hastings, and all these people that I've played with and that I know who can really just uh, paint really well. You know, Andrea Schwantz got a nice transition in her models, too. Um, And I'm not trying to leave anybody out that I know who I play with, who I know who can paint. Um, You know, I see these guys, you know, they come over from England and their stuff. I mean, I won uh, Chris Tomlin's army, and Tomlin always talks about how his painting is so mediocre. And it's just like levels above mine and the, the the smooth transitions i just don't have and but i'm like you know what i'm not even worried about it. i'm just going to paint it like they painted on the guide which is the hard transitions um it's it seems to be a staple of the gw paint uh, uh aesthetic now and and i have no beef with that like you know and i think the models look good now they do have and this was pointed out to me um you know like the leather straps that are in front of the cloth and metal cloth the cloth they got like a loin cloth hanging in front of them and then metal straps on top of that which is a little redundant but okay and then um like it's that's all hard-edged it's blue with hard edges as well and you know the hard edge on the metal you know works but i guess on the leather it should be a little more subtle that was pointed out to me um and uh i don't know how to do that like and when it was pointed out to me like you're absolutely right you are a hundred percent right i'm like i'm honestly though i'm just following the steps on the video because i'm not good with this like i don't know how to choose good colors for things like i know what i like and that's it uh but i'm not i'm not really good with this and so Following in the video and kind of learning, okay, these kind of colors go together, and watching how they pick their colors. And he doesn't say how he picks it, but kind of seeing what he picks to go together, where he chooses his shades with what colors. I'm trying to learn that stuff. Um, I guess that's my next step is I want to go with these transitions because I look at the models and I'm like, wow, I don't. There's some parts on it that I just kind of tilt my head a bit and look at it and go, that's not quite there you know and it doesn't quite look like it looks in the video either but it's just like there was like 24 or 25 steps on this like i don't care what you tell me i did the screamer pink on the on the handles and then i went and i did the wash and it went into the cracks but the cracks are kind of subtle so it wasn't super in the cracks and then it says okay now go over it again with screamer pink over the top no difference don't care what you tell me didn't look any different I actually went and lightened up my screamer pink with a lighter color with a pale, like with a, with with some of the tans, and then went over there very lightly, very lightly, just to try to get a little highlight difference in transition, went off of what I was reading because I could not get it to do what it did and what it said in the video, and it just looked like solid pink. Um, and maybe that's, like I said, I don't know if it's because I don't have these these the knowledge or the ability to... I don't know if you guys out there are rolling your eyes saying you just need practice or if you're in the same boat going, hey, I don't know either. Or if you do know uh, and you have, if you know, of uh, maybe there's some tutorials or some videos or maybe, you know, I I want to learn, you know, <laughs> I want to know how to do that sort of gradual shading. And I know you're supposed to put on thin layers of very watered down paint. Um, and I've tried that, but just being told thin layers of watered down paint, um, you know uh, this the trial and error thing it's not working for me like i'm not i'm not hitting it and i'm not getting it and i'm way too impatient um i need to at least see one time see how it works um just to see it to have an idea and it's just it's 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 uh, it's, it's like wearing the steering wheel of a boat on the front of your pants it's just driving me nuts it's going crazy um So, I'm going to leave it here with that. Um, But that's where I'm at. Uh, I just I'm not certain if I did something wrong, or if I'm not getting something, or if I missed a step or two. But um, they look good. Don't get me wrong. I like them. These are really these. I think are at the very least tabletop standard. I mean, for a model that looks like it's got three colors on it—blue, gold, and white—there are 24. Steps on there, and there's something like sixteen, or I think I use like sixteen different colors. Um, I think I use that many. I mean, it was crazy what I did to get this together, uh, and I'm really pleased. They're probably my my best looking models, um, but by the same token, still wanted to get better, so I'm gonna keep working on it. And you'll hear about it more, and I'll keep posting more uh, as I as I get farther. Uh, let's move into gaming, and let's wrap up the toolbox. We can take a, another quick break here and get back to the meat of the show. Uh, gaming. Uh, I just wrapped up my second one-day AOS event. Lots of fun. Um, thank you to everyone who came. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent out uh, prize support. I got some prize support, um, not only from you know from the store that got this the prize support from from Games Workshop. Um, but uh we also got uh stuff sent to us from outside from people who wanted to help and make sure that it was tip top um it was we in fact we got enough prize support sent from a bunch of places that uh you know I was able to use the money from the entrance fees to buy lunch so you know everyone signed up and and for 10 bucks we we got you know free free pop and 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 pizza and um you know everyone got everyone went home with some garage hammer dice cuz those were the re-roll dice um, And uh, everyone got uh, Six Squared Studios sent everyone a uh, rangefinder, Garage Hammer rangefinder. So everyone got went home with one of those. And then we had some um, other cool uh, send home um, stuff. The price support. Now I did want to give one shout. So I got sent a, a bunch of stuff uh, to give for some price support. In fact, enough stuff that I'm going to have price support for the next one-day event that we have, um, and all they asked was that I plug, um, their little painting service, uh, and it's, uh, Dr. Bear's Painting and Repair, so, um, a little quick shout-out to Dr. Bear's Painting and Repair, and you can find them on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Dr. Bear Painting, one word, D-R-B-E-A-R, painting, um, you can see them there They do commission work They do painting They do apparently Fixing up on models And stuff like that uh, They do pretty good work From what I've seen On their website uh, And their pages So please check them out They asked if I You know If I would give them A shout out uh, And they didn't ask Until after They sent all this stuff So it wasn't like I'll send you this stuff If you promote it It was like After they were really nice I said hey Is there anything I can do And they said eh, You know If you mention my paint service That would be cool So there you go. Facebook.com slash Dr. Bear Painting. D R B E A R Painting. I wanted to mention the uh, the one day event because we had a lot of fun there. Um, people came. People played. People had a good time. At least they told me they did. And I don't expect they had any reason to lie. Um, now, we did, it was a cool thing. Oops, sorry, dropped something there. Um, We did sell out. We had a waiting list, and then uh, at the last minute, we had a few people who couldn't make it. So we had 10 people out of the 12 possible seats filled up, which is cool because that gave me a little extra room to operate. Uh, UGG is a bit of a tiny place. Uh, We had three scenarios that we ran, and I just want to talk really shortly uh, about the scenarios because I thought they were pretty cool. Now, the first two were from... Uh, the South Coast GT. Uh, I took them from the South Coast GT We ran a modified South Coast GT set of rules uh, similar to what uh, they ran at bits and what they'll probably running uh, Alex will be running at his next event. Uh, we ran the winds of death, which is basically you know there's six objectives um, and at the end of every battle round uh, you get a point for every objective you're holding. And at the end of the five rounds, whoever is holding the most, whoever has the most points, wins the primary objective. Uh, the second one, Fire and Brimstone, was um, dude. I totally forget what this scenario was, and I ran it. But this one, people liked this one as well. This was uh, oh, this was an Akshi. and oh yeah, this is the, you. This was table quarters, holding the table quarters. With the scoring units, heroes did not count as scoring units, so you had to have unit units. Whoever had the most uh, most uh, scoring units in each quarter scored of uh, got a victory point, and at the end of each uh, battle round, and then at the end of five battle rounds, most victory points got the major objective. Um, But the terrain pieces had special rules like you couldn't see over through them because there was all this ash and smoke because it was in the realm of fire. And um, then (laughs) as the blood flows, the battlefield starts to warp and erupt as the realm of chaos seeps into the realm of Akshi. Roll a dice for each terrain piece at the start of each battle round. On a roll of one, it erupts and every unit touching it takes D6 mortal wounds. So if... terrain could block line of sight and could help hide you Um, but if you were in the terrain uh, it could erupt in geysers of fire and blood and uh, lava and and burn you so um, that was a a fun scenario people uh, tended to like that one the last scenario was sent to me uh, by a friend who uh, said it was was, they had it at their local uh, games workshop for some event and, um, it was called the trial of blood and we ran this and this is a cool one. I just want to throw this one out there. And basically, um, you set up your army and you, you split the armies in halves and then, um, you, you know, you lay, you put out your army and then Every time you do an unsaved wound or mortal wound on your enemy, you get a blood point. Okay, And you have to keep track of all the blood points that you get. Uh, so you keep total of this. Now, um, because this is a trial of blood, one of corn's trials of blood, the more blood is spilled, the happier corn is. The more blood you spill, the closer you get to winning. At the start of each hero phase, you add together the blood points that you and your opponent have acquired, and you check the chart, and then you get that, that bonus. Um, now, you can play this one of two ways, d- depending on how much, how crazy you want, and how quickly you want the scenario to escalate. Um, before I get to the chart, there's one other thing. If you fail a Battleshock test, any models on your side that run, any models that you lose to Battleshock, basically, subtracts from your um, blood points that you've earned. Because corn doesn't like people who run away. So if you've earned 50 blood points and then you fail a Battleshock test and five guys run away, you're down to 45. So, fair enough. Um, and um, players get additional D6 blood points anytime one of their models slays a hero or a monster in combat because glorious deeds earn you more. And then uh, it's five rounds. As soon as any side hits 100 or more blood points, they automatically win. If uh, if nobody hits 100 or more blood points, it's a draw. Because Korn doesn't care if you got some or more than your opponent. He only cares for blood. And if you didn't spill enough blood, you stink. Um, now, it's do it during the hero phase, right? So during the hero phase, if there's it's a total of zero, that's the... Calm before the storm. There's no effect. From 1 to 20 blood points, you can reroll failed charge rolls this turn. For 21 to 50 blood points, you can reroll failed hit rolls for shooting attacks. For 51 to 79 blood points total between the two of you, remember, charge rolls that score less than 8 inches are increased to 8 inches for this turn. Uh, at 80, Uh, Each player immediately gains 2d6 blood points Which are immediately added to their running total So then you'd get the new total Um, That's if you had exactly 80 Uh, From 81 to 100 Pick an enemy unit anywhere on the battlefield And roll a die And it suffers anywhere between 1 and d6 mortal wounds But those do not accrue blood points Uh, From 101 to 140 Each time a hero is slain in the combat phase The controlling player can make a pile-in move And then attack with the model before removing it. Uh, 141 to 175, players can reroll all failed hit rolls in the combat phase. And 176 to 198, players add one to the damage of all weapons wielded by their models. So that's the chart. Um, Now you can play it that whatever you roll at the start of the hero phase, that that's what both players have. Or you can roll that it's just that player's hero phase. So the person who goes first on the first turn is obviously going to have a zero. So they're not going to get any bonus. By the start of the second player's turn, there may be some some few uh, casualties which would then get, allow them to hit something on this chart, which would probably be the re-roll, fail, charge rolls to get into battle quicker. And then you're not always having the same bonus. Uh, you can do it either way. Basically, everybody gets the same um so that way the, and, and if everybody's getting the bonus then you know the violence can get a little better once you get up to the second and third levels of blood or you can play it just just what you're just you get that and then the bonuses are changing and then you got to decide when you win the role whether or not you want to go first or second um you can also decide whether or not you want to make it cumulative. Uh, that says nothing about it being cumulative, I suppose. If you really wanted the game to pick up the pace, you could make it cumulative. Um, we never assumed it was cumulative since re-rolling failed charge rolls, and then charge rolls that score less than 8 or increase to 8 seemed, you know, almost redundant. Um, but maybe not. Um, but then the Flaming Bronze Skull you know that wouldn't that would only be a one time obviously the auspicious sign would be one time so we never thought it was cumulative but uh that led to that led to a lot of fighting there was no sitting back in a corner or playing this was that was blood for the blood god that was just move it forward and kill that was a fun game we had a really good time with that so um that was the game we had uh, that was this the three scenarios um Congrats to Alex Gonzalez, who took uh, best overall, Robert Reed, who got best general, and John Winger, who um, took uh, best sports and thank you to everybody else who came. We had people coming from as far as Indianapolis um, to come in for the day and play. We all like I said we all had a really good time it was It was a ton of fun. Thank you so much to Steve Herner for bringing his beautiful tables and terrain uh, brought six tables worth of tables and terrain, the Holy Wars tables, um, made, made so much, it, it's so much fun to play on really nice tables. is really nice terrain. Also, thank you to Alex and John, um, because I, I, I just thought that Steve was bringing tables because UGG doesn't have six really good six by four tables. Um, we just never have needed them up till this point. Um, a lot of four by four tables for more machine and, and infinity. And, uh, so they were bringing the tables, and then uh, Alex and John packed up six tables worth of terrain um, f- you know, from the Adepticon slash Bits terrain. Uh, and they lugged all that over there and then found out they didn't need to pack it all and lug it all over there. So thanks to them for doing that as well. Um, but it was a great time, and we will be doing it again, um, hopefully in September. Um not certain exactly when. Got to check what other tournaments are going on and what what's available. But we'll definitely be doing it again. It'll be another 12-person, three rounds, one day on a Saturday. And uh, if you're in the neighborhood and you can make it, we would love to see you there because it is a really good time. Um, and eventually, we're going to start uh, throwing in some painting scores with it. Um, I don't know if we're going to make it mandatory yet because we still got a lot of people who are Uh, new and are just getting in their feet wet in it. Uh, and I don't know if I'll make it mandatory, but I may make it, um, you know, if you want to get prizes, then uh, then painted will be required for prizes. I think that's what I'm going to start doing soon. All right, moving on to other. Uh, let's see, what have I been doing in the other category? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, my wife and I watch Big Brother. <laughs> so we've been watching Big Brother 18 and listening to Big Brother gossip. If you watch Big Brother, listen to the Big Brother gossip podcast. It's really good. Uh, if you see Sins on uh, YouTube, it's really good. I've been watching some of that and listening to the Sincast, which comes on every Monday. Uh, three guys who used to work in a movie theater and love movies and talk about movies, and that show is fantastic, as is Hello from the Magic Tavern. Um, if you haven't heard of that, that airs here in Chicago. Or records here in Chicago Uh, It's a half hour of some fantastic Tomfoolery From a man named Arnie Niekamp who fell through a magical Portal behind a Burger King In Chicago and wound up in the Magical Land of Foon Where he is now friends with A shapeshifter Who is a badger and A magical wizard named Usador and They sit around and they interview the people In the Land of Foon from the Vermillion Minotaur Tavern in the Land of Foon in the Town of Hog's Face. Uh, it's really good. Um, I'm reading God Beasts so that we can cover God Beasts. I'm f- starting the next book after... I can't even remember the name. It's the second Dark Angels book after Tales of Heresy because Greg, Dan, and I are actually recording the Tales of Heresy episode for After Eleanor and I'm reading the next book for After Eleanor That's right, folks. As... We speak, we've recorded the first two stories for After Eleanor uh, for the short story book, uh, Tales of Heresy. And we will be recording um, the next, the, the, the last five short stories over the next couple of nights and putting them out over the next, well, oh, however many nights it takes us to record and putting them out. So that's right, After Eleanor, recordings are back too. So I'm a busy man. Uh, and that's it all right break that's been a long segment but i got sidetracked talking about my painting but you know i've got concerns and um i'm airing them to you and i would love your feedback you can go and talk on the forum thread on the forums um garagehammer.net slash forum or there will be a thread for this show up on uh tga.community that's the grand alliance um because they just have a lot more traffic than garagehammer does um I don't know. It makes me a little sad, a little jealous, but it's cool. Um, I can't have everything. <laughs> uh, and I'm just glad that there's a place. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if I even need the Garage Hammer Forums when they've got TGA going. Uh, and it is that awesome. And Ben has offered me a place to post all my episodes and my episode threads and things like that. But um, there is no place for after Olinor. So as long as we need that, the the Garage Hammer Forums will stay open at the very least for after Olinor. So, um, But it'll be in both places And I'd love to have your opinion on the painting Or any suggestions or ideas you have And um, we're going to come back And we're going to talk a little bit about taking pictures Of your models um, And a little bit of quick terrain talk um, And then we've got a few guests So we'll be right back Back, back back back. All right. So I'm back. Okay, so taking photos of your models. Um I've noticed this. Uh, people take pictures of their models and they post them online and and you get these huge pictures which of course you take it with your little camera and then the ca- the computer zooms in on a huge picture and it's this large zoomed in picture that's kind of blurry showing every little brush stroke and it looks a little wonky and um You don't need a great camera, I think, to take good pictures. I mean, a decent camera is nice. Uh, My wife's got a nice camera, and it's got a little thing called a macro setting, so you can get in close on small things, um, which is really nice to get in on on small things. So if you have a macro setting on your camera, I found that this this helps. Um, And what does this have to do with hobby? Um, You know, everyone likes to take pictures of their models and post them up. Uh, but a lot of times you, I'll see a lot of this, especially on, on Twitter. Uh, I've been guilty of it myself. You know, you'll see people, oh, you know, the lighting's bad or this is bad or that's bad. Um, if you're taking pictures with your camera and it's not, a, you know, and it's not your phone camera, you know, a lot of times it it just, it can't get in that close. And so check if your camera has a macro setting that um, allows it to get in on the real close setting. Um that made all the difference when i was taking pictures of my dwarfs i was able to get in really close and have the the model sort of fill the frame and not have to be zoomed in on because every time the more you have to do that zoom or the more you have to zoom in afterwards like you know after the picture's taken zoom in on it zoom in on it it gets pixely and, and then the brush strokes get more uh more obvious and things like that um No you can and you can totally use your iphone you know um the cameras on the phones are getting pretty good nowadays uh, you just need even lighting that's part of it too you know uh, you need to check what your background is you know if you're taking a picture and it's weird lighting and it's on your dark desk table or you know I've got like the wood table I work on I try to put them on on on, on something that's white or something that's dark or you know you got your background full of stuff and the light from your computer de- the computer behind it is is showing Um you know, lighting is, is kind of key. You want light that's bright and possibly, if possible, and if possible, diffused. Um, you know, a bright light is going to do that. That source lighting is going to shine and give a different look to your model. It's a lot of times you'll see people. I mean, I, I love when I see the, the pictures out in people's yard. You know, it's up on the edge, on the, on the ledge of the deck because it's outside in the sunlight, which is light coming from everywhere. And it's, it may look a little wonky out on, on the little wood, wood plank, you know, and there's the grass and the kids playing with the dog out behind it, but at least the light is even, you know, and I'm, I'm seeing it, what it really looks like. Um, you know, n- natural light, light bulbs too, daylight bulbs. Um, I have daylight bulbs in the, in the basement and they cost a little bit more uh, and my wife thought I was kind of silly putting in these daylight bulbs, but it's funny because as I replaced them, um, I bought the bulbs for the 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 long bulbs for the the basement, the you know the long neon bulbs, and we have a short set of lights um, down right when you get down the stairs. And I didn't buy those. I didn't even think about those when I was replacing the bulbs. And so when you turn them on, you can tell the difference uh, so much. I mean, you got this bright white natural light coming from um these lights and then over near uh the bottom of the stairs it's this weird sort of yellowy light um and when you when you can see them in contrast right next to each other like that it's a world of difference uh you can walk the model over between the two different lights and 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 see just the difference in, in color tone that's there um it it makes a world of difference. So I would say, you know, as far as if, you, if your hobby includes taking pictures of your models and showing them to people or you just like taking pictures of your models, try to get uh, a natural, first of all, the, the uh, you know, the outdoor natural light um, or if not getting the natural daylight bulbs and um, try to get that bright light and try to get it diffused. You don't want a lot of harsh, bright light causing that, you know, I mean, it's fun to paint if you can paint with the, you know, the direct, the, the, the directional light. Uh, if you're clever enough to know how to paint that way. But when it really shows up and it's, it's washing out one part of your model or it's throwing weird shadows on another part that or it's causing a glare, um, that that's not cool. That kind of can ruin your pictures. Um, another thing is you may want to try to get a little bit of white balance in there which is why it's nice to get a bit of a white board or a white table or a white background um, because it helps with the white balance on your camera. Your cameras are automatically trying to get a white balance. Um, One of the things I used to do with my old uh, camera is I would have uh, models or anything I was going to take on on something that was white and have the white be at least twice the size of the thing I was taking a picture of or at least larger, if not twice the size, Um, and then I would take the camera and get it onto the white and then kind of push the light down a bit, push the button down a bit, and so it would, it would try to get the focus, but it would also get the white balance in there. And once it did the white balance, I would move it over to the object and then repress, and then it would uh, refocus, um, but it would have that white balance in there. So I knew I was getting the proper colors um, on the camera. Now, I know on my iPhone, when I hit the edit button, you get that little magic wand up in the corner, and that'll 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 do a color adjust for you uh, and it's usually pretty good I will often just hit the color adjust on on the on it before before throwing the pictures up at worst sometimes it makes it a little dark so you may want to go in there and just lighten them up a bit but you can make all those adjustments um, another cool tip um, for you um, if you're working with with, uh, with taking pictures is for future use uh, a lot of times when I take pictures, I'll take a couple of pictures and I'll use one of the copies. And um, especially if the lighting is really good, um, I'll flip them over to black and white um, just to see what they look like in black and white. See what the color tones and the color temperatures look like and where the shadows are falling. Um, just for use in future reference in, in, in colors and pictures. Um, I know it seems silly. But I like black and white. I went to film school and I took a lot of pictures and I did a lot of photography classes. I've always been fond of black and white. I think it's neat to flip the ca- the camera over to a take all the color out and flip it over to black and white. Um, speaking of playing with the color and the intensity of your pictures, um, they have this app out called Prisma, P-R-I-S-M-A. You might have seen it if you're on Twitter. You might have seen it in the last couple of weeks. People have been taking pictures. Um, basically, you just take a photo and then what it does is it... Um, It'll go in and make adjustments to it to make them look like different types of photographs, you know, from different pho- photographic styles, from different genres, uh, you know, cubism and and pointillism and different things like that. Um, different styles from different artists. Uh, one has a sort of a stained glass window look, um, you know, like that, like in Beauty and the Beast in the beginning. Um, it's fun if you got a, a pictures, especially a model with a lot of colors or a lot of highlights and shadows. Um, You could take the pictures with it and then run it through there, the filters. Uh, I actually took pictures of a few things and ran them through them and printed them out um, just because I'm going to take them to school. I'm going to use them in my humanities class when we talk about painting and going through colors and things you can do uh, just for some inspiration on different styles and different ways that you can look at something and interpret it in different ways Um, because I think it's pretty neat. Um, But if you're not going to just monkey with your – your your colors and you don't want to play with the pictures you just want to get a good solid picture might i suggest uh another thing you can work on uh would be getting like uh you know and it could be very simple if you have a bright light and a white poster board um, you can you can bounce light and diffuse your light. Um, if you've ever gone to a, a, a ju- not ju- what am saying? If you've ever gone to like just a, 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 a photography studio, like a Sears Portrait Studio or something like that, notice that the 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 none of the lights are pointed at you. They're pointed away from you to a bounce board to the to a diffuser and a bounce board, so that the light will shine and and, and flash on you, but won't be a harsh, heavy light ca- casting any hard shadows. Uh, you can do that. With uh, a couple of bright lights and a poster board white poster board, shine them away and point the poster board back at your model um, and it'll it'll do enough to catch the light and shine enough light, bounce that light back at your models, but without it being that harsh, heavy lighting. Um, I used to do that all the time. I have just some work lights in the garage. they like 500-watt lamps. They're stupid hot and stupid bright. And I'll point, put one on the left and one on the right um, and face them upward and then just, boom, a couple of boards. And that shines back a ton of light. I used to do that when I would take pictures of things. Um, I don't need to anymore um, basically because I, I bought a, a, mini, a, a mini photography, a light box. Um, now, you, you can look up light boxes on your own and you can... You can make them yourself. Um, it, there's one I use, and uh, you know I'll, I'll give them a little plug only because uh, I did not get in on the Kickstarter, uh, so I wound up paying like $15 more than I would have on the Kickstarter. Um, but I did, I mean, they're on Amazon right now. They're called Foldio, F-O-L-D-I-O. I got the Foldio 2, which is larger than the Foldio. Uh, they're made by Orange Monkey. And uh, you can find them online at orangemonkey, O R A N G E M O N K I E, one word, dot com. And um, this is pretty much what they make. And the folio, too, it's like a, basically like a, a one foot by, I think it's one foot by one foot, it's a one foot cube, basically. Um, It completely folds up It's all cloth It pops out It's got an LED strip uh, On the inside That lights up And shines into the cube Against all this bright white Um, It comes with an app You just download the app onto your phone So when you take pictures With the phone It's got it there And then they can um, It it runs it through the app so you can do backgrounds and things like that. There's all sorts of cool little features that you can run with it. But it's in general, it's a, it's a nice little light box, and it's designed for you to be able to take pictures with your phone. Um, so that way you can upload them. Um, the original design was for people who were taking pictures of smaller things. Uh, you know, obviously it's got to fit into that little one foot cube. Um, maybe it's a 15 inch cube. I know the Folio Two is bigger than the Folio, so it might be a slightly bigger. But it's the point is, you can fit your models in it. Even the bigger ones have have, have fit in these these uh, things. I remember it coming out uh, specifically for people who sell stuff on eBay. They want to smell. They sell small things, maybe jewelry and stuff like that. You want to get a good picture of it right on your phone and upload it to your account, so you could so you could do it on sales sites and things like that. Um, it's it's great. It's great. If I've got time before this this episode's already late, so I probably won't have time, but maybe on the forum or on the show thread, I'll go in and take a couple of pictures of the Folio and I'll get some pictures of the models in just on the table like I've put up already on the Facebook page just on the table and then take a couple of pictures of them in the, you know, using the Folio and let you guys see what that looks like cuz it, it, it's a it's a world of difference. Uh for 75 bucks, it was it was a great investment. Um it was a good deal. Um, and I really had, I really had fun with that. So, um, that was just all I wanted to say about taking pictures was, you know, check your white balance, check your color balance, uh, try to have a white background, a lot of light and try to diffuse it. You don't want that harsh light coming right on. Um, it, it'll, it'll, it'll wash out the color. It'll, it'll make the colors look funky. Um, and if you're using a camera, and you can't get in that close. Look if you have a macro setting on your on your camera. Um, that allows it to get in really close and still stay focused. Uh, let's see. What else? What do I do other than painting, painting? Um, well, uh, sometimes if I need a break from painting, I'll paint my terrain. Um, lately, I've been buying the GW terrain because it's pretty cool. It's a little tough to put together. Um, I have not been one of the people who's been going in and and green stuffing the gaps because it's terrain, and I don't care all that much. Um, One thing I would suggest is find sort of a color scheme that you want to go with. Um, I went to uh, Hobby Lobby, and they have, you know, acrylic paint there, and the acrylic paints, uh, I buy, they're called Master's Touch, and I think they're like four ounces. They're literally 10 Size of a normal paint pot that you'd buy for you know the hobby pots like the GW pots, um, and they're three ninety nine. Uh, I got raw umber, and I bought uh, I bought this dark gray, which when it got actually used and thinned out a bit, turned to a lighter blue because um, I added a little bit. that was very dark, and of course you add a little bit of just a touch of white to it to lighten it up in parts because uh, I wanted to do highlights. And it had this weird bluish gray. Um, which at first I was like, oh, no, it's a blue-gray. But once it started getting all over the stone and then you started adding the highlights to it, it was pretty cool. It still worked. Um, it looks pretty neat, and it's, it's got its own look. And it, all over the stone, it's, you know, it's still gray. Um, but, yeah, I would say if you're going to start painting terrain, uh, especially a lot of this stuff is stone, go out and try, like I said, it was Master's Touch, which I found at Hobby Lobby. Uh, it was three ninety nine uh for a four-ounce um, tube, and I was able to do like eight or nine pieces of big terrain. I still have some stuff left in the tube. And then the uh, raw umber I bought to do the uh, trees and the ground for the uh, all the sylvaneth woods that I had. I got like five or six of those. I think I have five of them. And uh, so you know, do do the ground on those, and then went back with that blue, gray, and went over the stones with that, so that the stone and the on the in those stone bits in the ground on my ter, on my uh, forest terrain matched the stone for the buildings, so it was quarried from the same earth that is in that area. Um, it's just, it's something you can do. It's a nice break from that. Uh, you can go into building your own terrain. I don't really build my own terrain that much anymore. Um, it is cheaper, it's also a lot more labor intensive. Um, it can look really cool, uh, especially if you just want to make something that's your own or if you want to make a specific style or a specific thing and, um, you know, they someone doesn't make it. Um, Herner, like I said, he's going to be on later. He'll talk. I'm going to have him talk to you about it. He makes some really great stuff. And it's uh, certain materials. uh, Because I know I tried to cut, you try to cut foam. When you're first doing it, you buy that pink foam and you try to cut it all up and make it look like stone. And it never looks like stone. Never looks like stone. Uh, It's colored like stone when you're done painting it, but it never looks like stone. And his does. So he can talk to you about that later. Um, But I tell you what, right now, Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call. I'm going to make a call quick, a Skype call. We have Reese. um, And if you don't know who Reese is, Reese uh, works over at Frontline Gaming. Um, He's the guy... Who uh, is in charge? He does like fat mats and stuff like that. Um, a lot of you, if you were at Adepticon, they were selling their fat mats at a deal. Reese is involved very heavily in forty k. Uh, if you listen to forty k podcast, he's come on a bunch. He's heavily involved with the Nova Open. He does a lot of tournaments out in California. Um, he's very, very, um, he's very involved in the forty k scene um, in in California. Um, and like I said, in, in fact, in the country, <laughs> he's very involved. Um, but he's also, uh, I didn't realize this, um, you know, a, a bunch of my friends were using fat mats because uh, we're going to start talking a little bit about tables next with Herner on the next segment uh, after the next break. And uh, so, you know, I have just a couple of pieces of foam core. That I've glued together so that they're really thick and solid so I can put them down on top of a table and I just roll out I have like a flat piece of like felt mat with grass on it came, it came pre done but it's like a grass mat um, it's basically a piece of gray sort of thick felt with uh, green flock on it that you can buy at a hobby store. Uh, six foot by four, and I just roll that out and put the terrain on it, and it's always been fine, but dude, everybody else's tables are, like, really nice. I mean, Chris, you has, like, I think three tables that are, like, just – I mean, they're solid-built table tables that they don't move. They're in his basement. Um, I don't know that they're bolted to the floor, but they're everything short of that. They're big, solid tables. They don't move. Um, you know, Grant's got tables made that he's got in his basement that he could take and take apart, but they're big, solid tables. And uh, I've got this sort of cheapy thing. I always feel like, ugh. And then at Adepticon, everybody had these fat mats they were buying, and I didn't pick one up, and I was looking at the at them online. I'm like, you know, I want to talk to these guys. And so I looked at the I looked at the info, and they hooked me up with Reese, and he said he would come on and talk to us. So uh, I'm going to pause right here just for a second and get him on the line, and he's going to come up and talk to us a little bit about Frontline Gaming. Um, they're the guys who bring you those table war cases, which are pretty cool cases. I know Chris Yu has one. And talk to you guys about the fat mat, um, because th- if you want a nice mat, a nice table, you know, something to put out as a table to play your games on that you can roll up into a tube and put away later that look great and are sturdy, dude, these are sweet. Um, they're about 100 bucks, so it's not as expensive uh, as um, those Realm of Battle boards. Um, they don't necessarily take up as much space either. Um, they need to go onto another table because they're bendy, like mouse pads, but they're really cool, uh, and I'm definitely, uh, I think, I can't choose between the, the grassland and the lava one yet, and once I get out of my stupid inability to choose, I'm going to definitely order one up, but let me get Reese here on the line, uh, and um, as soon as I got him on the line, um, we'll talk to him about the fat mats and get you some info on it, so give me one second, and we'll have this underway. Okay, and there we are. Everything's connected, and I am here with Reese Robbins from Frontline Gaming, and if you are a 40K fan, you might have heard him on various and sundry podcasts um, talking about all the stuff he does with 40K. Reese, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, so now you, and I didn't even know you were at Frontline Gaming. I actually was on the website looking around at all the fat mats, and I... Con, you know i clicked on the contact thing and i called the store and like oh you need to talk to reese and i was like wait a minute the, 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 you know i don't know too many guys named reese so yeah. said, i'm like reese in california i'm like okay i'm like yeah and then they're like oh he's not here right now he's over you were you had it wasn't uh what was it uh you, what was the term what were you at this weekend what tournament were you doing we were at
2: the atc the american team championships yeah. um yeah, this past weekend, great event, by the way. If anybody uh, has the inclination to go, we, we highly recommend it.
0: So, and I'm assuming you were doing 40k.
2: Yep, my, my team did 40k. That, that's, uh, to my knowledge, it's the only event that they do there. I think they have a, a Kings of War event too, but uh, it's predominantly 40k.
0: So, how'd you guys do, may I ask?
2: We almost won. Uh, we were at the top table in the final round. We lost by one point. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but ah, that that's gotta hurt.
2: Yeah, it was really close, but it was it was fun. It was a great. We we had a great time. Uh, the team did well, uh, so yeah, it was a blast. We we definitely enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, when he told me this, oh, who's over at the AT? I'm like, oh, is that is Breeze? You mean, the guy who does. Yeah, so so uh, Reese for anyone who doesn't know, now um, you're at Frontline gaming. Tell them what all is front. You know, besides I already told them we're going to talk about the Fat Matt, but what all is at Frontline Gaming?
2: Yeah, Frontline Gaming is a, a pretty expansive uh, kind of all-in-one hobby. Uh, company. We have a retail store in downtown San Diego for anybody that wants to swing by. We also have a online shop, FrontlineGaming.org, and we sell games, workshop, and other products usually at twenty to twenty-five percent off retail. Um, we always do new releases at twenty-five percent off for the release week. So if anybody wants to pick up the General's Handbook from Age of Sigmar, uh, it's a great time to do it from us. Uh, we also run events all around the the country. We run the Bay Area Open that just happened. Uh, that was one hundred and seventy-two players. And uh, we run the Las Vegas Open, which is one of the biggest uh, tabletop gaming uh, tournaments and conventions in uh, the country. And uh, anybody that wants to sign up for that, go to LasVegasOpen.net. The 40K championships for that event is already pushing 350 registered. uh, And it's going to fill up pretty quick. So I would recommend anybody jumps on that that is interested. Um, We do a lot. We also, of course, uh, manufacture the fat mats with our partner, War. And uh, those have been very popular. We have uh, all different sizes for different games for, obviously, 40K, Age of Sigmar. We make the official licensed uh, Privateer Press fat mats. Uh, we have Drop Some Commander's official mat. We do Malifaux and uh, X-Wing mats as well. Uh, we also have a ton of media. We have our, our own podcast. Um, for We have a podcast for Age of Sigmar and for 40K. We have a YouTube channel. Um, we're very... Uh, oh, wait, what's
0: your Age of Sigmar podcast? Which one are you?
2: Yeah, it's called the Ninth Realm. We're on our fourth episode. It airs every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes under Signals from the Frontline. It's our. uh, It's on the same channel as our Forty K podcast. Or they can go to FrontlineGaming.org and they can find us there uh, and stream it live or uh, not live. Excuse me, they can stream it stream it on our uh, blog. Yeah, it's really uh, it's been a blast. We're
0: loving Age of Sigmar. We've we've dived into it as a team here, and everyone is very much enjoying it. I feel like a moron. I saw the cast. It said Ninth Realm, and I swear to it, I thought it was a Ninth Age podcast, and I didn't. I didn't. fair enough. I could. It's easy mistake to make. And I, so now I've got something I've got to listen to. Oh, cool! So okay, I thought you guys are straight up forty K. So forty K players who have transitioned and started picking up AOS. This is really cool. Okay, this is great. So you guys are enjoying it.
2: Oh, we're loving it. And uh, just to, to throw it out there for more relevant to your audience. Uh, Games Workshop is coming to the Las Vegas Open and they are going to be officially running the Age of Sigmar tournament. I mean, the guy that runs their tournaments at Warhammer World is flying over and he's running the Age of Sigmar Grand Championship at the Las Vegas Open. We're also having a narrative mega battle. Uh, so we're, we're super excited. We're working directly with Games Workshop. Um, oh, this is sweet. Oh, uh, it's so cool. They're, like The company has had a complete change in their attitude and the way that they're approaching their customers. Oh, yeah. And it's it's so positive. Um, but we're loving Age of Sigmar. My, uh, I'm working on my Sylvaneth army right now. I'm an old Wood Elf player from Fantasy. Right. And uh, the whole studio uh, is, is picked up the game. Um, we even have uh, some people who've never played a Miniatures War game ever are picking up Age of Sigmar and really enjoying it. Uh, so it's it's been really, really fun for us because we had kind of a negative attitude towards it when it came out.
0: Um, a lot of people did.
2: Yeah, it was easy. to. I think that was kind of normal. It was such a big change. And there was no structure at all. And now with the general's handbook, I think it's like just what the majority of the people out there needed. Uh, A lot of people still enjoy playing it, you know, open play as they call it, which is cool. But uh, we're we're more oriented towards points and structure, and and we're loving it. The game is very very fun. And
0: and at the very least, it needed those scenarios. When they, I was talking about it a a couple months back on the show when they released it without. When they just released the four pages and just told you to basically go ahead and, you know, you, without all the scenarios that came out in all the other books, you couldn't even play open play very, you know, without, without those scenarios, without some guidelines to, uh, to play something other than just a straight up battle line.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, it was, a uh, I, you know, I wonder if it was by design or what we're all kind of scratching our head, but uh, the way that things have developed, it's really, really positive, And a lot of people that were very negative are now very, uh, excited about the game. And we're seeing just with our customers, people are getting really excited to play, especially with how affordable it is now. They've the, the A lot of people I don't think have noticed that they've doubled the amount of models in the boxes in, a, in many instances. So you can start playing the game for like 200 bucks with a 2,000-point tournament army. It's really affordable.
0: Oh, and not only that, but you can play – I mean, if you're playing a little more freer, when someone starts to play, you can play kind of whatever you want – you know, smaller units, smaller armies. I mean, even my son, his friends are starting to play, which they could never, they wanted to play back in 8th edition, but they couldn't afford, you know, units of blocks of 50 of this and 40 of that. Whereas now if they want to play, they can buy two or three boxes, come in and start playing small and build up and and play something that's viable and and, and, and playable.
2: Oh, um, totally. I, I agree 100%. Our um, One of our employees, her name is Mariana, never played a uh, tabletop game, war game before in her life. She she picked lizard men and she picked the models that she thought just looked cool and uh, put them on the table and was doing fine. She's like, won more games than she's lost and never played before. Picked it up right away. Whereas a game like 40k is so complex and convoluted right now that it's very daunting for a new player to pick up. It's kind of the way Fantasy was before they rebooted the system. Um, trying to get into Fantasy in 8th edition was like insane. You're looking at a minimum six 700 dollars army. The rules were so complex. The rule book was like what, it was
0: 400, 400, 180 pages, pages of rules yeah. 180 pages of rules plus all the side rules in the army books yeah it was it was rough i mean i i played it and i liked it and don't get me wrong i enjoyed it but after a year of playing this it's like i i'm 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 so happy with this it's like i don't need to go back to a 180 page rulebook anymore
2: yeah i agree and we're loving the game now everyone's having a ton of fun uh, it's so simple it's easy to pick up there's a lot of depth to it, when you when you start to get the hang of it, you see the combos. You see how important movement is. It's a really really good game. It just it came out the gates on a bad foot. They kind of stumbled when they got started, but I think that they're recovering yeah. very well.
0: They need, in fact, now um, the the little starter box that they're coming out with now comes out with uh, not just the rules, but with scenarios, yeah. which is what the old thing really missed. Uh, that's where because nobody knew what to play. I mean. Every scenario, if you read it, every, almost, in fact, we only, I've only seen, I think, one scenario now out of all the different books that doesn't say completely ignore the four page rules for victory. Don't do any of the sudden death things. Do this because none of that is like, that's, you know, that's just, you don't want to do that. It's not going to work. It's not going to be fun.
3: Yeah. You
2: you said it. And the game was a little bit of structure and like in the general's handbook, they made some very sensible, reasonable limitations, like no unlimited summoning. You can only cast a spell once. And that, seriously, those tiny little changes brought so much balance to the game, making shooting units cost a lot more than melee units because they're better. Right. Um, it was just like these little these little subtle changes, and all of a sudden the game is so much more fun to play. Um, Absolutely. I think it's going to take off. I think it could be bigger than 40K. I really believe that.
0: This is really funny. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of laughing on the insight. Literally, in the earlier part of the show, when I was talking in the beginning, I had asked listeners last episode you know what kind of stuff they wanted and one of the suggestions was get some people who rage quit and now that the general's handbook came out see what they think of it another suggestion was hey why don't you get some people who play 40k and that might have started playing and i don't really know anybody who plays 40k who started playing fantasy <laughs> and it was literally a suggestion i had just mentioned an hour earlier in this show That's and i had funny. no idea that you played 40 like listeners i had no idea this conversation was going to happen i swear and you're just and so like i just earlier said this is an idea for a topic for a later show and we're having this conversation right now 40k player who's really liking uh where fantasy's going well they just released their um you know the annual report and one of the things if you read down it, it's saying yeah age of sigmar is outselling everything fantasy did in its last last year year and a half it's it's start, it's 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 finally it's picked up where it's it's outselling what fantasy was selling
2: Oh yeah, I mean, so, we have a retail store, and I can tell you that unequivocally, uh, fantasy was dead. I mean, oh, yeah. our, our, we're definitely oriented towards 40k, so I, I'm sure that that it biases our the data that I, I'm giving you. But we would sell like one, maybe zero boxes of fantasy models in a in a, a week, maybe two or three in a month, and uh, we never ever got a new customer ever. We never had a new person pick up the game. It was only uh, existing uh, veterans and it was an older crowd too.
3: Right. And
2: uh, Age of Sigmar, especially now that we've gotten very enthusiastic about it. Now we have a podcast and we're, 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 we're stoked about it. Like we're blowing the doors off of what we did in a year with fantasy. We'll, we're we've blown that away in a month with Age of Sigmar. It, it's definitely um, a I won't say it's a better game because that's subjective. I think it's just a more approachable game. And I think it's going to bring people into the hobby that were never going to play either fantasy or 40K.
0: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm so excited. And I'm so glad to hear you saying that. That's just really cool. Totally not what I expected to hear. So I'm, I'm really glad it's going on. And so then, and, and the LVO is going to have this. And they're getting the guys in from – guys are coming in from the guys who run the events at Warhammer World. They're going to run the yeah. event at Yeah. I LVO. mean, Forge
2: World is going to be there. It's, it's crazy. Like, Games Workshop is like – you can tell they like there's guys there that are getting let off the leash that have been waiting to engage. <laughs> you know, like they've just been like so pumped, and like all of a sudden it's like they're talking to us, and they're like, "Hey, what do you want to do? Can we help? Can we come out?" And it's incredible. The, the difference in in leadership and policy is 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 really evident, and we're excited. So, anybody that does want to go to the Age of Sigmar event at the LVO, please buy your ticket sooner than later. It's already half sold out, and the event's in February. So. <laughs> you know it's it, 6 months out it's it's over 50% sold out so if anybody wants to come i would recommend getting that ticket cuz the the games workshop is going to be coming with a lot of enthusiasm probably a ton of prize support
0: it's going to be a lot of fun well that's fa- this is fantastic this is great to know i'm <laughs> this was not what i was expecting to hear i just <laughs> this is cool all right so actually let's i'm going to even though i don't really necessarily want to at this point i'm going to switch switch gears and um flip back to what we were going to talk about um now you've got the uh now you had mentioned also at frontline gaming you got the table war stuff going on uh my friend chris has a table war uh case those things are really nice Uh, they really are yeah you guys sell them there they've got the whole front for the open display for your stuff but really this thing that i wanted to talk about is so uh the fat mat okay um so where did this come from? I mean, it's, this is such a, and it's it's, 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 it's quality. It's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. The, the Fat
2: Mat came about, uh, it's a partnership, it's a joint venture with Table War. Um, they were already manufacturing. We were already in, uh, had a really strong internet presence and we're doing sales and, and distribution customer service. And both companies had the idea to make a mat. Um, and we decided to cooperate instead of compete. Okay. And so for, for our side of it, the idea had come, we run tournaments all over the place. And at one point in time, we were running as many as six GTs in a year. So every other month, we were throwing everything into a trailer in my truck, driving all over the Western United States running events. And uh, if you remember the bad old days, people were playing on felt or a piece of cloth
0: You'd roll actually, out that, that long piece of green felt along all the tables, and every six feet, you'd lay a piece of tape across to mark off yeah. where the where the table ends.
2: It, you know, it doesn't look terrible, but it doesn't look good. There'd be, like, crunched-up Cheeto crumbs in it, and if someone put their drink on it, it left a ring on it forever.
0: Yeah. Oh, and it wears out. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're rolling up felt and unrolling felt over and over again. It only goes so long. Exactly.
2: And it, to be, I mean, to be fair, to, for our standards, it was crappy. We didn't like the way it looked. At best, if you went to a really nice tournament, they had four by six sheets of plywood that look really good, but they're heavy and uh, the, the flock and the sand comes off. If your model falls, o- falls over, it may chip. So right. there wasn't really a, a really good solution for what we were doing. So we decided to make a mat and um, the, the product took off like a shot. Our Kickstarter blew us away. We didn't think it was going to be a quarter of what we did. Uh, we were extremely excited, and then, and then as often happens with Kickstarters, it was very overwhelming because then all of a sudden you have to fulfill all those orders, and um, <laughs> you see people fail at the Kickstarter. At the, they, they have a big Kickstarter, and then they don't fulfill it all the time. It happens all the time. Um, but I'm, I'm proud to say that we delivered ahead of schedule, and um, we, it just went, on, went, went from there, and our team has been uh, producing new designs and, and distributing them. Um, if anybody out there that's listening has a a game store or goes to a local game store that does not carry the mats, uh, we'll send them one for free to put out in their store. It's called the Outrider Program. If they open up a wholesale account, the person that recommended to us will get a free mat. So any of your listeners that would like to see the mats in their store can get one for free. Okay, uh, well, um,
0: I will talk to you right after we hang up here because <laughs> my local game store, I tried to get them through them first and they didn't have them, which is what led me to your website. So I will talk to you right after this, uh, right after we're done talking here.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great way to get a, a mat for you, to get a mat in the store. They don't have to pay anything besides shipping just to see if their customers want them. Usually they sell themselves. Oh. they put them out. People go, "Yes, I do want
0: those." Oh, I'm certain they'll sell. I'm certain yeah. they will. Yeah. No. Most because, of our like wholesale said,
2: accounts are, are very happy with them.
0: No. Yeah. Like I said, my buddy who bought one at Adepticon rolled it out on the table when we were playing there a couple weeks ago, and everyone was asking about them. In fact, that's when I asked about them. I said, "Can you get me this?" And she was like, "I don't know. No, I don't. I don't know where. To, I don't know how to. I don't know where to get them." So we'll talk after we're done here. So absolutely. So, absolutely. Now you've got them. They come in the four by fours for your games like War Machine and Hordes and Infinity, and you have the six by fours as well. Am I correct?
2: Yep, you, you're absolutely correct. We also have three by threes for games like Malifaux and X Wing.
0: Oh, okay. Um, and all sorts of different designs, obviously, on them. Now, what they're like mouse pad material, right?
2: Yeah, they're like a giant mouse pad. That's the best analog that most people will be able to understand that comparison. Uh, it's neoprene on the bottom. It's a, a rubber material so that it doesn't slide around on the table. It's, it's really good for gripping it. It's relatively thick, uh, so if you have an uneven surface, it's going to diminish the amount of uh, imperfections that you're playing on. Like in a tournament, oftentimes if there's two tables pushed together, they're not perfectly the same height. Right. And the mat will help to to kind of like bridge the gap between the two tables so it's not such a, a pronounced uh, drop in height. Um, if your models fall over, they're not going to get chipped. The material is soft. Uh, dice, everybody likes to mention how the dice sound when you roll on them. It's not very loud, like on a plastic table, like a Realm of Battle table, which are beautiful. But uh, if you roll dice on them, it is really
0: loud noise. Well, and they echo because, yeah, because yeah. they've got the, yeah, okay. And
2: they're hollow on the bottom.
0: It's like a drum. Right. Uh, yeah.
3: like they're, yeah.
2: they're, they're beautiful, but uh, yeah, they're, that's definitely something you'll notice about them. Uh, and our mats are you know, extraordinarily cheaper than one of those. Um, they come in all different kinds of, of designs from a super high-tech sci-fi to our lava mat, which is awesome for Age of Sigmar. My business partner, Frankie, plays uh, Fire Slayers as one of his uh, war bands, and they look so cool on the lava mat. Um, the Dread Fort for Chaos looks amazing on it. Um, we have natural mats like a desert or alpine or a, a grass or swamp, and then there's city. Um, we have like kind of an old-school city. It's a cobblestone that works really good. For the uh, for some fantasy settings for Age of Sigmar, so uh, there's a mat for pretty much any taste uh, that's out there that's available for you.
0: Sweet, and now these also come; um, they come in like a in a tube. Am I correct?
2: They come in a nylon zip-up bag with a shoulder strap. Okay, and they have a, a tag on them, a hard plastic, full color tag, so that you can see which one it is without having to open it up. For people, most people have a couple of them. And uh, you throw them under the bed or in the closet, and you you can just oh look at the tag oh that's my lava mat or whatever the case may be, pull it out, take it with you to the game store or to your friend's house or to the kitchen table, unroll it, play a game, roll it back up, put it away, good to go.
0: See, and that's that's the thing I like about it is you can you can roll it up and it goes right. I I thought it was a I thought it was a tube because I remember when they when my friends had it in there it was just because they you roll it up and slide it in and it just it takes the shape of almost like a like a messenger tube
2: yeah um, it, it looks like uh like a fishing uh rod case or right something like
0: that. yeah and it's just and it and it and it just it's right out of the way it's not it doesn't take up a lot of room doesn't take up the room of a huge table and obviously you have to have something to put it on but it's it, once you roll it out it's it's there it's easy it's it's pretty it looks good um and so now what is uh do you do you have the difference you said you had the three by three the four by four and the uh the four by six what do you what are you what are you looking at price wise on these yeah,
2: the uh, we're, it's 55, 75, and ninety five respectively. There you go. And uh, like I said, these things last. The only thing we found that really screws them up is if you spill super glue on them. Um, anything else, like we have a video where I, I pour water on it and just wick it off. It's crazy. These things are they're water resistant. Uh, nice. They're damn near waterproof. We can't say that in case someone decides to like go surfing on it or something like that. But <laughs> they're they're essentially waterproof. They're water resistant. Extremely. Uh, they're very durable. And as long as you take decently good care of it, it'll last you for years and years and years. We still, in our shop, have the first two prototypes that we made, like the very first two. And these have been played on by customers like over and over and over again. We've played on them over and again, and they're, they're perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with them. So, And that's years ago. So they, they last a long time. It's a high-quality product. Uh, it's an investment that they. as soon as you play on one of these type of mats for the first time, you'll never go back. It's it's such a big difference. We have pic- uh, customers who've taken pictures of a mat or of uh, their terrain on a blank table, the way that they were playing it, and then they have the, ter- the exact same terrain in the exact same location on a mat, and the visual difference is, is astounding. Like it's a completely different experience.
0: Oh yeah, and it's it the 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 uh, you know the images that you put on them, and I've I looked on the site like because you have them for like you know the sci-fi settings and all that. It's a, the colors are really rich and deep, and it's a it's a really it's it's a. It's a nice image on there so it, it really stands out as opposed to just like I was saying I have a I have like one of the felt mats that you could buy at the hobby shops that have like the uh, the flock already in them so it's like right. it's like a green flock six by four that you can just roll out like a, as a mat and it's nice and it looks okay and you can just roll it out over anything and use it. Um, but you know, over time it gets wrinkles and it gets, you know, the, the flock starts to wear off. Like you iron it the first time you use it just to get it to set on there. And over the last couple of years, it's starting to look a little ratty. Whereas that, it doesn't fade. It just keeps that it's, it's got that nice look to it. I got friends who have a Thursday night gaming group and every Thursday night they're, they're showing pictures and I keep looking at them going, man, the tables look so nice. And I just found out they're all playing on their fat mats that they bring. So it's just, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm like, okay, that's when I got to look into it. And, like I said, that's how I got in touch with you. So,
2: hey, well, thank you. I'm glad you uh, like the product. That's really awesome. I mean, we put our heart and souls into it. The guys, the, our art team, they're uh, former, or some one of them's still current, uh, video game level designers. And uh, oh, nice. they worked on huge video games. So, like, the level of detail on some of these things is, is bananas. There's like newspapers blowing across the street, and you can like read the headlines. Um, the, the the some of them are very simple on purpose and some of them are hyper detailed and it's it's you can sit there and just look at it and see how much time and energy went into making these it's pretty uh, they're pretty intricate
0: that's oh, cool it's really cool like i said i that's i'm i'm just i think they're great I really do and there's i mean you know it it depends on a person's taste like this whole episode we've been talking in fact my next my next guest is going to come up he makes a lot of his own he he runs his tournaments he makes his own boards and he makes them pretty nice, um, and they are a little less expensive, but they're super time-intensive, um, you know, and it, it depends on what, what level you want to put into it or, or what you want to spend. But yours is just – it, it's such a nice sweet spot. It's just really nice, and I was really impressed, with, like I said, which is why I had you on here. So um, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about them to everybody and letting them know what's going on. So before we go, again, it's frontlinegaming.org.org. FrontlineGaming.org. And the and Las Vegas Open is Las Vegas .net. net And um, what was the what was the podcast? If they want to search it up on iTunes, what what is it? everything's under? You said Signals from the Frontline. Yeah, so
2: the Signals from the Frontline is the the name of our channel on iTunes. We're gonna we're probably gonna rebrand that because now we've got a, a, a number of podcasts on our channel. Oh, okay. But the the podcast is called The Ninth Realm. And they can find us either on iTunes or just come to FrontlineGaming.org. And uh, they can find it on the blog roll on the front page. Okay. And it's it's like a 30, 45-minute podcast uh, featuring myself and uh, uh, my co-host, Jason and Mariana. And uh, we talk about what we've been working on. Um, we go through all the, the different factions. And it's it's a lot of fun. And if you want to, we'd be happy to, to repost a link to your podcast. And we can help each other out. Cool. Um, to- to get the word out to get the good word out about the great game age of Sigmar. Cause uh, I think a lot of people are still kind of on the hate train and if they give it a fair shot, it's, it's such a fun game.
0: <laughs> no, it is. It really is. It's I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic about the game and uh, I'm just, I was so cool. Like I said, totally was not expecting <laughs> you to be, I, I knew you were a 40 K guy cause I'd heard you on other shows. So this was, this is just a cool thing for me. So thank you so much for coming on. And, um, folks, we will be back, uh, as I promised, with Steve Herner in just a minute. Thanks for having me. Hey, folks, it's Dave. Time for more Hobby Talk and what episode of Hobby Talk would be complete without Hernzenberg himself, Steve Herner, to come in and talk a little Hobby. Herner, what's going on? Hey, Dave. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. So, uh, Steve was kind enough to bring six of his custom tables out to uh, my Age of Sigmar event. Uh, last weekend, and wow, I finally got to see them in person, and holy mackerel! <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. Uh, I had I had a lot of fun as well, and wow, okay, so now we're gonna talk a little table talk here. Uh, a lot of people, you know, have you know, we talk hobby, you know, make their own tables, and some people make big permanent. Solid monstrosities that take up a big section of their basement. Chris, you has a couple of big tables that are just there. You know what I'm saying? Like they ain't going any place. Right. Um, I have the really, really, really cheap yet portable tables going on at my house, um, and uh, and you you have it some somewhere in the middle. Um, yours is very. Uh, it's it's not it's 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 not lightweight. But it uh, it is it, it can be packed down and, and put away. I was I was impressed with what I saw there.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, I well, I brought six tables, um, and was able to get them all into my minivan, including the huge bins of terrain for each table. Um, they break down. Uh, my tables, my tables break down into two foot by four foot sections of MDF. Now, um, How the do- tables, the tables I brought out were half inch uh, thickness. Okay. On that MDF. Um, now I do have a few tables that are set up at quarter inch, uh, but those require a wider table surface, uh, so, you know, base, um, surface, something to put the, the actual board on. Um, so, uh, I could have actually brought those to your event because we, you know, we took those folding tables that UGG has and we kind of butted them together to make a, you know, a, a larger area to, to rest the boards on top of. Right. um, and uh, I went so so that's that's typically that would be the typical size that I would build because the quarter inch actually uh, MDF in two foot by four foot sheets is actually lighter and easier to manage and even more uh, flexible um, regarding storage you know you can pretty much put that anywhere right. um, And so typically if I was doing something that you know if I was Going to be doing something that was more for home use instead of a you know tournament use um i would go with a the quarter inch mdf because it's easier to work with uh, it's lightweight um even after you add the sand and all the pva it's still fairly manageable in terms of weight um yeah. half inch can get a little unbearable uh, yeah. the nurgle table and the zeech table which i brought to your event those have very thick layers of PVA to create the levels of texturing that you saw on the board and the depth in the, for example, the Nurgle river and stuff, um, the ooze, the green ooze, um, all that effect was created by using multiple layers of PVA and wet sand. And, uh, it looks really cool, but it is heavy.
0: Um, now here's, so here's my question though. Now, <laughs> Just so people can picture this in their head before we get too far into the technical parts, sure. you have three of these two by four boards uh two foot by four foot p- pieces of uh, you said the m d uh, the m d f boards mm-hmm. and they were half inch mm-hmm. and uh you had like basically drilled holes and you had like little small little bits of like you know dowel rod like little little wooden you know bits of dowel in them so like, or you know, if anyone ever put leaves in a table, that's basically what you made them into. So yes. you had the, the, you know, the holes on one side and the and the little wooden dowel sticking on the other side. So um, and the middle piece, the uh, edges, outer edges were painted black. The two outside pieces, the three edges were painted black. So you knew exactly where everything went and lined up. And then the pegs just, you know, they were glued permanently into one side and slid into the other side on on quarter inch. Do, those, do you have those pegs on the quarter-inch? Do they fit, or do you need really small pegs? I mean, it- Yeah, there's no pegs
4: on those. You just line it up. Um, those boards are a lot more flexible. Um, the boards I'm referring to on those quarter-inch boards are the Toon King board and the— uh, actually, there's three of them. There's the Toon King board, the Bretonian board, and then the Warriors of Chaos board. Now, the Warriors of Chaos and the Bretonian boards are designed in a way that when you lay them down, you know exactly where they line up just because of the nature of the design. Okay. And how, how the flock lines up, like there's bare patches and stuff. So it's very obvious when you don't have it aligned right. Uh, the nice thing about the toonking board is that it's just sand, so it really doesn't matter. It just, you know, you don't have to really worry about how it lines up. It all kind of works. Right. No matter, no matter how you have it lined
0: up. No, but with the pegs, it also holds it. So if anyone bumps it, the board is right. one solid now, board. What, what is there anything you do with the other ones, or you just got to no, be careful? No, the
4: other ones actually, when we when we take them to a tournament, those get put on a on tables that are set up so that they're exactly two. Uh, um, um, they're exactly four by six, so they're rigid and they're firm and they don't slide where you get into a problem with the sliding and the reason why I pegged the other boards was because there's like a, you know, depending on the size at your venue, depending on the size of the tables they have for you, you might have like six inches of hangover. Right. Um, So they needed to be pinned in order to prevent, you know, let's face it. I mean, when we're in the midst of gaming and we're leaning over, you know, we get excited and we bump a table and it'll shift. So um, that's why the pegs were put in place. The pegs were put in place to add stability Uh, just so that the the players could, um, you know, uh, not have to really worry about knocking the table in a way and moving and having a shift. Now in your home, in your basement, you don't have to go to all that trouble. You can just, you know, line it up and, and go ahead and play.
0: Now here, here, down here in the crypt and, At my house now, we have the table, like, we have the single table set up. Like, uh, you know, we can do the double table set up. I have two tables. Mm -hmm. Uh, If one person's playing, we can do the double table where I've got the six-foot-long table, and we can set two next to each other, and they're about two-and-a-half, three feet deep, I think. So then maybe it's two-and-a-half, so then it's five feet, so you put the table on it, and it's wider than your four-foot table. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I I usually will play on, and this – now, I'm going to go into a different thing here, and, I'm, and I'm, I have a point to this, so I'm not completely breaking off to a different subject, um, <laughs> is um, what I did when I needed to get a board done on the, on the super cheap when we first started playing was I literally went to Home Depot and that the two-inch thick pink polystyrene foam, the stuff that you buy to make terrain out of. mm mm-hmm. Um, I bought the eight foot sections, cut two foot off the end. I bought two of the two inch boards, and then I got gorilla glue and I glued them and I put uh, just everything I could find in the basement on top of it. So it became a thick four inch thick right. board. Um, yeah. I just I mean it, it doesn't weigh much now it's bulky, like it's got to be tossed in the back of the of of the storage area in the basement and it's kind of takes up a lot of room and it's a pain to pull in and out. But it doesn't weigh much, and you can put it on the two and a half foot wide table and it's a four inch thick foam um so it doesn't really give or bend you know and you can take now i i'll I have one of these roll up little you know green mats that the four foot by six foot grass mat you sure. can roll it out you got a table you could also take your quarter inch boards boom 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 put those on top of that it's 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 Firm, it's stable because of its its thickness, and it's uh, and it's exactly four feet wide. You could put it on the single table and not worry about it bending or or going anywhere. Uh, I mean, the double table is a better choice. But I'm saying if you if you're if it's I'm saying for if you know if you're a first time player, if you're new to the game and you want to make a table on the super cheap at home, uh, you know you can go to Home Depot and they got a sale. And those I think the two inch boards I think I paid eighteen bucks yeah. for one or 15 bucks for one and I that's exactly
4: yeah. how i built my first table when i first started out playing 40k it was uh it was entirely made out of a four foot by eight foot piece of foam
0: yeah and like i said i cut the i actually just cut the two feet off the end uh and then like i said i roll out the mat and that's it it's i mean it's yeah. it's easy you could put it away it's really cheap lightweight um,
4: easy to move around right
0: yeah um, and then you can go to, now like I said yours is much nicer. Like I, I really want to get a much nicer board. Um, but the whole point of this episode, as we're talking about her, are, are different ways that you can do stuff on the hobby. Uh, and we're talking about things that, you, you know, outside of just painting models. And I kind of wanted to hit like all the ranges going from the super cheap to something nicer to the really expensive. Cause I mean, if you wanted to, you could just go out and buy a realm of battle board. I mean, they're, they're $330. But they, they stand up, they're pretty stable. I mean you see these these videos where guys stand on them and they don't break. Right. You know, and they're pre made and they're ready to go. If you if you've got the money and you don't wanna deal with anything other than painting the thing, you got that. But uh if you have an idea, a vision, some idea of what you want your board to look like, um so what do you do? Okay, you've got your you've got your boards cut, you drill in your little you know, you've got your half inch boards or your quarter inch boards, whichever you're gonna do. If you're doing the half-inch, you put little pegs in. Um, and you were saying that uh, for texture and, and layers and stuff, you put uh, PVA glue on it? Now, uh-huh. do you do that? Yeah. Through? yeah. And you just do that over everything, though? Like, even if for the flat part, you put some PVA glue just so... Yeah. So, and that um, also builds a seal, is, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what What I'll typically... Well, first of all, the, the stuff you can get, is the 2x4 sheets, they come from a mill, so if you go, for example, if you go to Menards or if you go to Home Depot, you can't really. F- I don't. I find it's, it's hit or miss at Lowe's, okay, but um, it's pretty consistent at Home Depot and at Menards, where you can go into their into their uh, plywood department and find two foot by four foot, exactly cut, uh, precision cut um, from the mill, so you don't have to stand around and get a custom cut, okay. So you can just right. go in there, get your two foot by four foot boards, get three of them. You're golden, and then what I do is um, uh, once I get those get those home, um, what I will do is I will essentially take PVA and I water it down um, to about you know like kind of like a probably like a a melting milkshake consistency. Okay, so it's not super thick; it's a little bit thinner than what it is when when you pour it out of the bottle. Okay. Right um, and I'll water that down. If I don't have that handy i use I'll use wood glue, okay so it's it, a lot of the times it's whatever I have handy and, I sh- and then I, what I'll do is i'll I'll have that um, usually I, when I do that I do it in the outside like um, you know either in the garage if the weather's in, uh, not not cooperating or I'll do it out in the driveway. and so what I'll do is'll is I'll, I'll put the glue, I'll put the glue over uh, on each two by four she- uh, sheet. I line them up though, so like I lay it out in a four foot by six foot. Okay. Right. Then I then I put the, the PVA down over the entire four foot, four foot by six foot area, and then I go in and I'm and I'm just pouring the sand over it. Now, as I'm pouring the sand over it, <clears throat> you know, I just don't kind of throw it on there. So what I'll typically do is I'll start maybe from the left and work my way to the right. So on the left side, I'll I'll pour a big pile, and then I start kind of pushing it across the board. Okay. So I'm not just pouring like a huge mass because I because the thing is, is you know you don't want to just throw away sand right I mean you know you want to try to save it so when I pour, when I I take a, um, I have like a you know I have like a broom that I can disconnect the head of the broom from the from the um, from, from the, the
0: handle uh, yeah
4: the handle and then I use that and I just kind of sweep and push the sand uh, across the board. And then I'll let that sit for a while, maybe you know, about an hour, and then I come back. And what I do is I pour the sand off into a, like, either I have a, pla- what I use is just a sheet of plastic, like a plastic tarp, okay?
3: Okay. It's,
4: it's, it's just what you would get for doing um, painting, right? And it's a small thing. And I just pour it in there, and then what I can do is I take that, and I can just pour that right into my sand bucket. So I'm not, so I don't have any, I'm, I'm not throwing away sand by just pouring it out into my, into my lawn or something.
0: So, um, that's what I always do whenever I'm sanding anything of any sort of size. Even when I'm putting sand on, on, on bases and things, I've always got some sort of a plastic sheet under it. So, when I'm done, take, take everything off, bend the sheet in half, just pour it right back into the bucket.
4: Right. And then after that, it, I go back over the PVA, I go back over the sand with uh, more PVA. Okay. So I'm creating another layer and I'm coating it all up with more PVA.
0: How do you apply that? Because that's kind of hard to apply without getting sand to come off all over like the brush or things like that. So what you
4: do, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a strange technique and I've shown it to many people and they're just kind of like, what? And once they see how I do it, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to explain, but what I'll do is I'll take that same batch of PVA. Okay. That's been watered down and I water it down even more and that PVA is watered down to the consistency of milk, okay? And then okay. I use a very I use a very soft brush and I go in and then I just start and I work myself and I work slowly, okay? And I start from one end, once again, left to right, and I start to to kind of dab the sand with this really wet mixture of PVA. And then if I notice that any of the sand is kind of picking up or it's starting to clump, I can take this brush and just kind of smooth it out. Okay? And then once I get work my way all the way across the board, um, and it takes a light hand to do this, okay? So you don't want to be real heavy-handed when you're doing this. That's why you want to take your time. Um, And then I work my way all the way across the board, and um, then once once it dries, it's it's totally sealed up. And then um, from there, I will do one of two things, okay? Either depending on what I want the base soil to look like. All right. Um, if if I wanted it to be darker, I would go in and start painting. Or if I'm okay with, it, I want it to be more of a sandy soil, more natural. I might go right into the flocking stage. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, let's say for the sake of discussion, I I I paint it. Okay. So I I, I lay down the colors that I want. I do maybe a quick wash. Um, and once again, the board is still laid out in a four foot by six six foot sections, right? It's all together. That way you get that feeling and that flow of the natural flow between the seams of the boards. Okay. Okay. So then I'll go in after I've painted it all up and it's dried. Then I start going in with the PVA that I'm going to be using for the flock. Okay. Now, uh, the boards I brought, you may have noticed that like the boards had this feeling of, um, you know, one of the things that you typically see on a board um, that you don't see on my boards is kind of the cow ate the pasture look where it's like these little circles and tufts of green, right? right. And then there's all this brown on there. So, you know, my, you may have noticed on Saturday that my boards have a much more natural feel and the way you achieve that look with the flock is when you, when you're putting on the PVA, you're, you're more like dabbing the PVA onto the board. You're not, you're not painting it long strokes. You're not, you're not painting it in a circle. You're kind of, you're kind of dabbing it onto the board.
0: So almost like a stipple. So you're just, yeah, like, you're just like exact- tapping the, tapping the ends of the bristles onto the board.
4: Yep. Yeah, okay. exactly. And then you get the look that you think you want. And then I throw it, you know, I'll throw down the, I throw it on the flock from there. Now it's really hard to, to not waste flock. You know, I mean, flock can go everywhere, especially when you're doing a, a board. It's been my experience that it's very difficult to to save the extra flock. I try to, but you know, it's hit or miss. It's
0: another one I do on a plastic tarp, and then you got to just wait it's, till it dries and whip yep. it up and tap it off, and then right. try to try to save what you can. So that's the exact same technique. Now, after I do
4: that, um, what I do is uh, you, you may have noticed as well is that on most of my boards, it's at least two or three colors of flock. Yeah, on the board, it's not just one you know, long green grass, same tonal value all the way through. Right. I do multiple colors of flock. and what I do is when i I will actually go back on top of the flock and seal it with the same PVA technique that I seal the sand with after I apply the sand. So it's that same mixture. It's that milk consistency of PVA. And I after the flock dries on top of the board, I go back on top of it and give it another seal coat with watered water down PVA. Now the some people will say that, oh, that makes it white, you know, it clouds it up or uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't look right. Well if it if it does do that, you've gone you've gone too thick with your glue. So okay. um, you know, you what I would recommend you do when you start out is maybe just test it on a corner or test get a from the scrap bin at the, at the, uh, at the hardware store, get a piece of scrap plywood or scrap piece MDF and do a couple tests for this sealing of the PVA. Um, but what it does is it, that, or excuse me, the sealing of the flock. Okay. Because what, what that does is that allows the flock to stay on the board and still be a playable surface. And, you know, it doesn't rub off on your hands. Um, and that's if you're using the standard flock, uh, you you may have noticed on Saturday, the lizard man table uses the scenic express, uh, swamp, um, foliage. It's this, the, it's this, uh, boggy, it's called boggy swamp and right. it's very, very thick stuff. It's like chunky and clumps. And so for that, that really requires a lot of glue to hold down to be able to be used, um, in, on a wargaming table. That stuff's typically used in model railroad. So that one required a thicker, a thicker mixture of PVA in order to seal it in. And you're always going to get some residue that, that comes off over time, you know, just, just through, just through normal wear and tear. Um, but the results, the results you get when you do the stipple technique for the, for the PVA before you lay down the flock, it's just fabulous. It just looks more natural, looks more realistic. And, um, and the results, just you know, you saw the tables; they speak for themselves.
0: Right. And then, if you're going with the multiple colors, you'll still get. I mean, it's that whole concept where you get the patches of a yeah. flock. I mean, you know what they're going for is just these different colored areas of different bits of grass, right? Sticking out. But by going with the different colors of flock, you still get that concept. But the whole table is still flocked, and so it looks a little a little more natural. They really do look quite fantastic. Thanks. So, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I just wanted to touch base on the on the like the you know the different bits and, and ways that you go through uh, when you're when you're really you know putting some tender love and care into making a, a nicer board.
4: Yeah, I mean, all in a typical price for me. Um, you know, when I when I buy the flock, you know, you buy big jugs of flock from like your 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 local game store. They're like ten dollars each, right? So right. you have a bottle of those, and then you, you have it for quite a while, right? You'll, you might have it for a year. So, um, you know, it's a small – so if you figure, let's say, the Dark Elf Table, which uses two types of flock, all right? So it's $20. That was purchased. I mean, that flock was purchased, you know – I still have it. I'm still looking at a bottle, the same bottle I bought two years ago, okay? The board themselves, you know, um, that was probably around – Ten to fifteen dollars, um, and so then it's and then it's a big bottle of PVA for like, you know, maybe six to eight dollars. So the investment in terms of cost, it's not it's not there, but the investment in terms of your time is, you know, if if if, if you really right. enjoy to build terrain and you want to build your own unique table, then you know this is a very reasonable price point in order to achieve that. You know, it's it's, it's not too bad. Um but if you don't have the time and the energy to do something like that, then maybe like you said earlier, the investment and the, the three you know, in the bat, realm of battle board might be the way to go for you.
0: Right. Or like I said, if you're really just starting out you just wanna get something yeah. out there, yeah, go with uh go with yeah, the foam and, and a mat roll. Or honestly, you know, you know, there are other things out there. You know, the fat mat, which a po that is a very popular one right out there now and they look nice.
4: They look great. But, I actually want one. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm definitely getting one. I'm yeah. definitely, uh, I'm definitely getting one. I was looking at it just the other day, so yeah. But um, listen, that's what I want to talk about. Now, I want to hit one more quick thing. We got about ten more minutes, and I wanted to quick get this in. Now, when you were there this weekend, you also brought the terrain, which I was not expecting, but I was quite grateful. And you had some really great uh, pieces on the one board. Um, you know, little stone stairs leading up to a little crypt or thing, mm-hmm. and your stone looks really natural, and I asked how you did it, and you said you had just basically taken blocks of the pink foam, and you had put, what was it, pine bark? It's, yep, pine bark
4: nuggets. Now, it's not mulch. They're actually called pine bark nuggets. And then you, where you can find those locally here in the Midwest is Lowe's. Okay. So, and it's really important to find the nuggets because the nuggets come in larger sizes. And so then what those are is they're basically glued to the foam, okay, And then you just kind of randomly put them on there, whatever looks best to you. And then after that dries, I go ahead and spackle it all up with lightweight joint compound. Okay? Uh, Spackling compound. Excuse me, not joint compound. Spackling compound.
0: Lightweight spackling compound. And what is um, that? Go uh, ahead. What does that do?
4: Well, what that does is that fills in all the gaps. Okay? So what you just basically, what I basically do for that is I just basically take a. you know, uh, um, an exact one of those big, um, like half inch, um, or excuse me, one inch Xacto blades. Okay. Okay. With the the little plastic one with the orange handle, I use that as my spackling tool. Okay, because it's really flexible; it bends, and it has that nice little sharp point at the end, so I can get in all the crevices of the of the pine bark nuggets where there, because there'll be a gap there where you try to put them together. Okay, and then you'll be able to right. see inside, and you see the pink foam, Well, you got to cover that up. So what you do is you spackle this whole bad boy up, and then you just go after it dries. You know, it dries, you set it aside, dries. Then you sand it down with some uh, with just some sandpaper, and then seal it up with PVA, and you're ready to paint. So that's it's just that easy.
0: And it's just uh, once again, it's just slightly thinned down PVA over everything, just to co- co- put a seal so that your paint isn't soaking yeah. into the pine. Bark. Yeah,
4: well, that that what you're going to do is you're going to wind up probably doing maybe, depending on the how thick you have your PVA mixed, you might do two or three coats. I tend to go a little thicker, and then I wind up doing three coats just for durability's sake, okay? So um, the pine bark nuggets are going to soak up the, the PVA, and so will the the, uh, the spackling compound, Okay. Now, um, don't use a a pro tip here is make sure you use lightweight. Don't use the heavyweight stuff. The heavyweight stuff actually chips more than the lightweight. You know, you might think it's more durable, but really it's not. Not for gameplay purposes, not for, you know, uh, chipping and stuff like that. I've had to do more repair work on the stuff that I use the heavyweight compound on than I have on the lightweight.
0: Okay. Heavyweight's not meant to be moved around like that is what I'm guessing.
4: Yeah, it's not. It really isn't. I mean, it's there's a when the when the um, when the lightweight stuff dries, it actually when you when you push on it, it has a little bit of give to it. Okay. So um, and then um, you know once you seal it up with the with the PVA, you know you create that harder bond. But uh, it's a lot more forgiving in terms of game for gameplay purposes.
0: Okay. Excellent. And the so, other thing is you
4: want a base of MDF for that, by the way. You don't want to just have um, the bottom part just be foam, okay? You want, to, you want to have some kind of good base for it. I usually use like uh, um, an, eighth, an eighth of an inch or less of uh, some type of MDF.
0: What do you use to cut that? Jigsaw. Okay. Then and you just sand the corners?
4: Yeah, just kind of round the corners off with my. Uh, I have a Dremel sander, or I've used a belt sander for larger, larger, larger footprints. Yeah, uh, it's always good to have that MDF as a base because then it it gives the foam something sturdy to bond to. It also will allow you to to actually glue part of the edge of the pine bark nuggets onto that that more sturdy wooden base, as opposed to just securing it to the pink foam. Because the pink foam, you know, eventually over time, it could it could lose some some integrity, some strength, so it could, it could chip away. So what you want to do is you, you want to have that strong MDF base.
3: Okay.
0: Well, that's everything I was going so, to ask. Help. No, that was fantastic. Thank you so much, Steve. That was, that was a big help for people who want to come in and try to do something that's hobby-related. Maybe you've been painting and painting and painting, and now you want to do something other than just painting your models here's uh how you can build your own board so thanks for coming on and and giving us all the pointers on that you're welcome i do appreciate it and um if you haven't seen it folks check out our facebook page or check out the holy wars page because man there's pictures of these boards all over there and you can see what a little bit of effort and not too much cash actually can uh can give you some really really beautiful stuff (laughs) So, Steve, uh, you want to you tell people about your next upcoming event and give them the website and stuff like that?
4: Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, we've got an event coming up, a team event. The Holy Hammers are putting on Holy Havoc. Uh, it's a team event. Um, we're sold out at the moment, but uh, you can check us out. If you look for holywars.com, you'll find us there. Um, check us out. We are going to be putting registration up for Holy Wars 2017. It, uh, sometime in August or early September, and registration will be open to the public. So uh, there's not going to be any early bird registration. The weeks for that are uh, February, the weekend of February 18th, uh, okay. 2017. So hopefully we'll see some some of you there and some of the players who were there for the last two years. Hopefully uh, they'll return again. So
3: very should be fun.
0: nice. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on, Steve. And folks, um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking with someone who uh, basically took every single book from the end time story, took every single scenario and rewrote them for AOS. Yeah. How cool is that? Right. Jeez, dude. Have you seen (laughs) that thing?
4: No, I haven't seen it yet, but that the, the community should do something for that guy. <laughs> That's some heavy lifting there. Oh,
0: man. Seriously, go look at it. I mean, I'm planning be, on it. It's ridiculous. It's so nice, though. Yeah. It's so cool. All right, so thanks, Steve. I will talk to you soon, and folks, we'll be right back. Hey folks, it's Dave and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before, the foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Okay, and I'm back. It's me and Lindsay again. And uh, I have a special guest on, first-time guest of the show. Um, okay, this person's just crazy. I'm going to introduce <laughs> this person to the show. Um, if you haven't seen what this person's done, talk about taking uh, something you like in the hobby and running with it and and making a project of it and making your own. Um, let me introduce to the show for the first time Alexander Nygaard. Alexander, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, now, uh, you hail from where exactly? I know we're talking to you from a long way away. Um, we got about a- uh,
5: Norway, the uh, land of ice bears, polar bears, and snow and fjords. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> long way from Chicago, um, although it feels that way through most of uh, most of the winter over here. We have. We we often have three seasons in a day, so we you know uh, in the winter it gets cold too, not polar bear cold, but uh,
5: well, uh, you at least have seasons in my city. We basically have fall all year long.
0: Oh, that's kind of my favorite, though. That might be nice.
5: So I actually checked the statistics of this once. It actually rains more here
0: than in Seattle. Oh, okay. No, forget it. Sorry, I'm not coming. Ch- <laughs> change my mind. Change my mind. <laughs> Okay, so let's get to this. Um, f- for anybody who doesn't know or doesn't follow, um, you are what are you? You are Darth Alec on Twitter, are you not? Darth yeah, underscore Darth Alec. Darth underscore Alec. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so, like, I'm okay. I'm I'm sitting there and I'm kind of putting together this whole hobby, other than painting your models episode, and then this pops up, and I was like, oh, well, I'm gonna just DM him right now and see if he wants to be a part of the show. Um, <laughs> you on uh, on tga.community on the grand alliance forums that that Curry put together, you have put together uh, one of the w- uh, probably the largest fan made you know like like text product that I have seen uh, for <laughs> AOS or almost anything else um unless you count ninth age and, and I'm not because that's not this game. Um, Battletome end Times. So you you basically took the five End Times books and turned them all into... It turned all the little scenarios into battle plans, right?
5: Yep, that's pretty much exactly what it is.
0: Okay, so what inspired you to do this? What's going on? I mean, I know we all felt like, oh, no, we barely got to play them, but I don't think any of us sat down. And, okay, and just I don't think I said it yet. I don't think I did. I opened up... <laughs> if, if When you download the PDF... <laughs> That he's got up on here on TGA.community for free, and it just search "Battle Tome: The End Times," it's a hundred and seventy-two pages, man. Yeah, it it got pretty long by the end. I mean, there's pictures and stuff in there, so it's not like just walls of text. But it's, I mean, that I mean that, that makes it even nicer looking. Uh, okay, it's so no fun reading
5: just walls and walls of text. So I had to have <laughs> something. Uh,
0: okay, so. Let's, uh, you know, I, I mean, there, there's a little intro here that you, that you threw, but I'll, why don't you let, the, let tell the audience, like, okay, what... First of all, how long have you been gaming?
5: Well, um, I've been in the hobby since about 2002. Started with Tomb Kings and Ogre Kingdoms when they came out. Okay. Uh, then I quit the hobby, you know, like people do. And I came back... Pretty much exactly at the start of the end times. Okay. So I started that up, you know, dusted off all my old armies and, you know, read the book and went like, oh, this is amazing. This is really, really cool. But I don't have undead army or an empire army or chaos army. So I can't really do anything with the end times as it was. Okay, And I couldn't play any of the other scenarios because, you know, the ogres never got any. <laughs> and the lizardmen got two. And then they left in their little spaceships. That they did. <laughs> and you then sort of Age of Sigmar came out. I was like, huh. I love the story of the end times. I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the idea. I loved a lot of the battle plans. But, you know, I wanted to play it. I still like the old world fluff, but I love the age of Sigmar rules.
3: Right. So, you
5: know, I figured, all right, it's the age of Sigmar. Play it the way you want to play it. I'll try. I'll, I'll convert some of these scenarios and see what I can do with it.
0: Well, uh, you did some amazing work with it. Let's just, let me just throw that out there right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I'm going through this and, and this is, this is, just, this is crazy. This is really, how long did something like this take you?
5: Well, the first version the, the, of End Times and the Gash came out at the end of January. So it's been probably eight, nine months,
0: I think. Oh boy. So you've been working on this for the better part of, you know, getting closer to a year or three quarters of a year. Um, and you just, you did all five books, went through all the scenarios and turned them all into battle plans, including time of war so that you can set up the, the places and set up rules for the, for the locations and all that. Now, um, where did you, now, did you take inspiration from any special rules that came up in the books or did you just sort of read the fluff and, and decide, well, this is how this might work?
5: No, well, when I was converting the scenarios, you know, I first started with the end times like scenarios from the book. Like, what are the rules for this scenario? Okay. Then you had to go like, all right, what's, what's the point of this scenario? What's the story here that you're trying to tell? And how do the rules as they are work to do that? Because some of the rules really didn't work very well. And most of them don't really convert over to Age of Sigmar very well because they're all, um, you know, you you win by victory points. Right now, when you, you know. say
0: the rules didn't work very well, are you saying just strictly as a as a conversion, or just you didn't feel that some of the rules, as they laid them down, uh, originally, worked? Very well, because I know as we got towards some of the end time stuff, especially some with the with the magic rules and things like that, it got real wonky, and people felt it didn't play well within the eighth edition rule set. Is that what you mean, or are you just talking about strictly didn't work as you converted into Age of Sigmar?
3: Well, a
5: bit of both, actually. I think okay. I think
0: the old like the blocks and the
5: limited movement options and all that really restricted how well a scenario could actually work. Okay. And that a lot of scenarios really worked because of army composition. You know, that you've got the Glockkin and whatever else. Okay. Uh, and that that sort of made the scenario an 8th edition. But that wouldn't, you know... But with Age of Sigmar, you have to do something a bit more interesting than just put down a giant monster. Because everyone's going to do that anyways.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. If you got one, put it on the table.
5: So I just had to go like... Alright, here's there's some weird deployment stuff here. Um, I can use that, but I can't use the victory conditions because uh oh you get five hundred extra victory points for killing the enemy general. It's like that yeah, that, that means nothing, does it? Nope. It really doesn't mean anything. So then you have to go back, read the scenario and go, what what's the story? What were the players in this battle trying to do? and then create a new scenario or victory condition out of that.
0: So you went back in the fluff and then made the victory. So so did you take basically how the story fell out and said this is what they were trying to achieve uh, and whether or not they achieved it, this was their goal, so this is the bonus I'll give them if they get toward that goal? Is that, so, is that sort of, I mean, it, you know, you know, really simple I know I'm oversimplifying it, but is that sort of kind of what we're talking about here? Yes, in a
5: sense. It was more like what at the beginning of the battle, what are the players and what what are they trying to do, and what is the situation around them? You know, because a lot of these scenarios involve uh, reinforcements coming in or something happening during the middle of a battle, and had to make sure that. All the rules for that was in place so that when players started, you know, none of your plans survive meeting the enemy and no battle plans survive meeting the players. Okay. So it's like it's accurate until you start playing and then and then you sort of get into it and have to try and achieve whatever goal
0: your character was trying to achieve. Okay. Okay. So okay how, okay do you know how many scenarios there were total I know I mean I tried to look 49 49 okay so you you had to do this 50 times how many how many uh how many time of wars uh t- or times of war I don't know if I don't know if we call yet. Yeah. how many of these did you do you know how many of these you made uh well I made uh let's see six of them okay
5: so there's two for nagash uh one two for Glotkin. And
0: uh, one for Kane and one for Thankful. Okay, and none for none for No. Nope. Or did they just all fall back to the to the old ones? Because I know it yeah, says here. It says, I know it says here. It actually warns you. You can download each individual book, but if you but they don't always contain everything because you know the the full PDF has everything. So if it backtracks, you'll be missing out.
5: Yeah, it's like uh, the rules for the. Chaos Ascendant stuff, which is in pretty much every scenario where the Chaos uh, are playing, is oh, the rules for that is only in Glotkin. So you'll need a copy of that for all the scenarios in Kane and Thankwell and Archeon that contain
0: Chaos units. Okay. Oh, so you go through all this and you, <laughs> you spend. <laughs> Nine months. Now, and, and um, okay, I'm just kind of scrolling through it. You got pictures. You got your little intro. You got a little fluff bit here. Now, the little fluff bits in italics. Um, is this your 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 own writings, or is this some of the stuff that you sort of took from the books for 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 flavor from their books, or is this all just sort of your uh, own? I've
5: written everything myself. I didn't want to. Like, you didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah,
0: I didn't want to like
5: steal anything. Right. And, uh, But, you know, if I've struggled for wording or anything,
0: I've been more than a little inspired occasionally by whatever's officially written. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't trying to imply that you were, you know, that you were, uh, you know, stealing from Games Workshop or anything like that. I'm just curious because I know when I do my fluff readings, I take that stuff right from their books and stuff like that. And I know, you know, I've gone through when I've written stuff and said, I've I've, I've borrowed liberally from from the way they've worded stuff um, to get things in here. So you roll through. You've got your nice little, you know, your nice little fluff piece. You get your little time of war and your descriptions. You've got all your charts. Did you did you get to play test any of this? Did you share this with friends or, or how did you how did you come about the decision? Like I'm just going with the very first one, the very first time of war. Uh, you know, it's it's the Nagash one. It's the End Days. Uh, we're creating battles. You're using the time of war here. Um, this one is the darkest depths, deep caverns, tunnels, and burrows. This is what you're working So, you've got the unstable cavern dice roll with all the different rules and results for that. Um, you've got different things for, you know, the, the, that it's dark, low ceilings, different cave monsters might randomly show up. Um, then you've got uh, the haunted battlegrounds, uh, dark magic. So, you've got a, a spell here for raising zombies. Um, You've got uh, Undeath Ascendant because you've got, you know, obviously you're with Nagash and all the, the powers of Undeath are working better here. So there's a few bonuses there, um, bonuses for Death Wizards, Haunted Terrains, different things like that going on all of that before you get to the – even before you get to the first scenario. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, there's uh, quite a bit here. So, like, how did uh, – how did you come about the decisions with this? Like I said, how, did you get a chance to playtest it or at least, or did you shoot it past somebody? Or how did you, how did you come about the, the ideas to, to, to use these different things?
5: Well, I, I haven't playtested it as much as I would have liked because while I've been sort of writing this, I've also been sort of trying to build my local group, which you know, died, out, died off when Age of Sigmar uh, re- was released and they all became ninth age players oh boy tell me about it okay uh so not everything uh pretty much nothing is actually play tested okay <laughs> so <laughs> now i've I play tested a few things but there's 49 scenarios and just play testing that one or two you know once a week would still take half a year just play testing
0: oh sure so now, as you put this up, um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here. Um, obviously, this was a labor of love. Uh, you know, you put it up on the uh, the the Grand Alliance forums. So, if people are playtesting it and they come up with any suggestions or ideas, are you are you are you open to suggestions or things, any comments or things like that? Do you, would you like people to 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 comment or come up with ideas? Yes, um, absolutely if anyone has any sort of feedback i would love to hear it constructive criticism folks the tga forums are much like the garage hammer forums we don't need trolls or or vipers in the forums so yeah i'm a moderator there so i'm a mod so if you're gonna come at me come at me bro <laughs> there we go uh I just, like, I, I can't get over as I'm rolling through this, like, just the amount of work you did. You have, I mean, everyone. You have the setup, the deployment, with all the little, you know, with, the, with the, you know, with the, the board divided into the six sections. In case you have a nice Romo battle board, all the little areas where you deploy, who has the first turn, all these little things going on. Um, and now you have it set up as the stories go. But I, 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 got a feeling as I was reading through this, like this first one, um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm certain Wayne Kemp would love this. Is the Le Siege of Le Mesantal. So it's got the undead marching on, on again, on, on the Bretonian uh, place, the uh, uh, trying to get that artifact. If any of you rem- remember from that, from the first book, so it's undead versus Bretonians. Um, now obviously, you know, with a lot of the rules set up at the time of war, it's really set to un to undead not to take a death army would sort of kind of, it seems it would mess with the scenario, but uh you could take something other than Bretonians, I think, couldn't you? Like I mean, this is still open a bit uh to to, you know, sort of making adjustments as you as you see fit depending on what you have to play with.
5: Yeah, well, actually that was one of my design goals while making this was that the entire document uh is actually faction neutral there's no uh with the exception of like the haunted battlegrounds and the, the with the exception of the time of war stuff everything is like faction and keyword neutral you can play with whatever army you want in these scenarios and you won't be missing anything
0: Okay, so like, uh, okay, so for like the siege here, if you, you could totally not not worry about the time of war stuff that you that you wrote with all the special extra rules for death and the special, um, you could come in here with uh, empire and orcs and goblins, or you could come in here with dwarfs and, and skaven, and have one holding and one attacking, and just basically just change the the keyword from undead and Bretonian to whatever you're to. Your two armies are absolutely and and it it'll work. That was sort of part of the point, since I never
5: you know, I didn't have the armies that of the end times. I don't I still don't have an empire army. But I wanted everyone to be able to play these scenarios as if they had one. I don't want to like say, Oh, you can if you don't have the Glockkin, you can't play the scenario if you don't have um you know, Nagash, Archeon, Alariel, Tyrion, you can't play the last scenario. That, that's no fun at all.
0: Yeah, no kidding,
5: huh? <laughs> so so there's, there's like keywords like if you have a, uh, you know, if you have a hero or a monster or you need to have a wizard, but every faction has that. But It doesn't have to be
0: a necromancer or uh, a chaos lord. Nice. So you did keep it nice and open for anybody to do whatever they wanted to do. All right. So it, let's jump ahead a bit and I don't know exactly where it is in in the book. I'm, I'm I'm sort of flying through here. Here we go. I found some of it. Um so what did you do for Cain? I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is this oh. is the, Okay, Cain and Archeon. and I'm only asking about those two because I've kind of flipped through the thankful book is pretty pretty you know, pretty okay. The, um, you know, the Glotkin book, the Nagash book, they're all pretty okay, you know, easy to play with. Um, but these are the two books that just jumped way off the rails. And I'm just wondering how you dealt with them and what you had to do to make these work. Quite a
5: bit occasionally. (laughs) Uh, well, the, the big thing is, with Kane, is that you had the sort of the magic rules that just completely broke the game in a lot of ways.
0: Oh, did they? I hadn't noticed.
5: (laughs) uh, And in eighth edition, you know, that, that was a pretty huge issue that you could, you know, throw a million dice at a spell that could kill an entire unit by itself or stuff like that. Oh yeah. Uh, So I made a time of war. It's called the great vortex weekends. All right, uh, and it's, it's got a couple of extra rules. You got some, you've got new spells that everyone can cast. They're all seven or higher, so they're pretty hard to cast. Uh, and then I added miscasting because that's fun.
0: <laughs> so so if you're gonna play with this time of war, miscasting becomes a thing. Yep. How does that work? Let me. I'm not even. I'm trying to. I can't find the page. Do you remember offhand how that works?
5: Yeah, I, well, I have a more organized document oh, okay. than you guys have. Okay.
0: So, uh, <laughs> so how does this work? Explain to okay. the listeners. If a
5: wizard rolls a double when rolling to cast, it suffers a catastrophic miscast. The spell is automatically cast and may only be unbound on an unmodified roll of 12. In addition, roll a dice. On a 1, the wizard is sucked into the Realm of Chaos. The wizard is slain and no abilities may save him. On a 2 to 4, every unit within 6 suffers D3 mortal wounds, and the wizard suffles, suffers a single mortal wound. On a 5 to 6, every wizard on the table suffers a mortal wound. Okay. So you're going to be killing off your wizards pretty quick, but, but that's the uh, you know cost of
0: throwing out really big spells. And since you can only roll two dice, it's any double. Yeah. And it can only be unbound. You still has a chance to unbind it, but it's gotta be you gotta throw double sixes to unbind it. And then boom, things things get ugly.
5: Okay. Yeah. It's uh I I wanted to be able to miscast, but you know, only miscasting on a double six
0: is, you know, kind of boring. Yep. You know, that doesn't oh, happen yeah. very often. Oh no, I agree. So just any doubles, sweet. Yep.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
5: And then I, I wanted to have that, like, chance of unbinding. Okay. Just because, you know, like like Heroic uh, Bravery in 8th edition, you, there's always a chance. Nice. But you always miscast if you
0: miscast. You know, you can't avoid that. Oh, this is so cool. And then, like, even on this, the very first battle, you know, it's uh, it's Inkari going over against Tyrion and Teclis. So you've got, I mean... Oh, this is so much... This is... I'm kind of... I just... I. You know and part of this is as I'm flipping through this and I'm looking at all these time you know their their AOS rules for the for all, I'm, I'm just keep thinking back to all the stuff I read and the stories he did and even the coverage we did here on the show, and how awesome this was. I'm like, oh, this could be so much fun to play. oh this could be so much fun to play oh this could be so much fun to play and it's like like I said, over four dozen more um you know uh scenarios. I mean for people who like to play and like to try a lot of different scenarios you've got four dozen scenarios here over, over just a little over that to try out um this <laughs> I this is I'm I'm just I'm just kind of really impressed because I you know I've sat around and written up cam, you know campaigns and rules for things and I've done stuff on a much smaller scale than this and spent weeks working on stuff on a just you know I mean, heck, I, I worked on that Mighty Empires campaign that wound up getting canceled because when end times came in and everything got wonky, nobody was quite certain how they wanted to run with it. Uh, and I just wrote rules just to get experiences to your units and, and to your and to your general, you know, and have things like that. And uh, And it took me like two or three weeks just to get some solid rules down that I thought were okay without even, and that was still without even, you know, really testing it out. And here you've got a hundred and seventy-two page document. <laughs>
5: well, I have spent you know eight or nine months on it. Right. Oh. And uh, I I was also lucky enough to have a job where I had a lot of downtime, so I could sit there and you know break out those giant end times books and just you know work away at the scenarios. Oh, that's cool.
0: I won't tell your boss either. That's okay. So. <laughs> So, um, was was there? Did you have any favorites? Like, if people are going to go look at this, did you have? Any, is there any thing like this was the one that I, this these were the one or two scenarios that I really was had the most fun with, or was the most proud of, or this is the section I like the best. Like, if, if anyone's going to go and see, this is this is the part that you know. If you if you had one thing to show them, say, look, check it out. This this is what I was working on. What should they
5: go look at? Well, I think my favorite so far is the Siege of the Black
0: Pyramid. And which one? Is, that's in, in the gosh, it's I'm a The assuming? second Archeon. The second Archeon. Yep. Okay.
5: It's uh, Archeon the Black versus Skaven. Uh, the Skaven, or no, not the Skaven, the Isabella, the Accursed, is besieging the Black Pyramid. Oh, okay. I remember this part. And there's also a Skaven team trying to infiltrate the pyramid to sort of blow it up before Nagash becomes a god. So instead of a regular setup, well, in the book, it's kind of it doesn't in the original 8th edition book, it doesn't work at all because you have to get a character within like a six inch line at the back of the board. That's very, very easy to block. Right. Um, so in this one, I wanted to uh, split things up a bit. So if you took your normal six by four board, you have one part, uh, a four by four, which is the outside of the pyramid. Okay. Which is sort of the battle and uh, where one, the besieger has to try and get his character into the pyramid. And on the other side of the board, there's a two by four inside of the pyramid where you have to use your Skaven uh, infilt- infiltration team to drop bombs inside the pyramid and try to blow it up from the inside. All right. So it's, a, it's one scenario where you've got two battles going on and they can affect each other.
0: Yeah, and this is a super complicated board setup I'm looking at here too. Like you've got everything marked up. There's all sorts of stuff going on here, but this... Yeah, once you get all this set up and deployed, this is this is going to be quite a battle. I'm looking at the whole thing here online. Uh, for those of you who um, are looking at my version of it, which is the downloadable version, that would start on page 134, <laughs> Siege of the Black Pyramid, page running pages 134 to um, oh geez, to 138. So uh, there you go. If you if you're not certain if you want to try it, that that's his pride and joy right there. So
5: yeah, that's uh, that one's a lot of fun because as a besieger, you sort of have two objectives. You want to blow up the pyramid, uh, but you also want to get your sort of uh, the, your general on the outside into the pyramid. Okay. Uh, but if, you, if you're if you too active on one side or the other, you'll wake up Nagash and he'll show up. And that's probably going to ruin your plans quite a bit. Oh,
0: well, it often does.
5: So especially on like the inside of the pyramid, because it's so small, if Nagash or your giant monster hero shows up there, he's probably going to wipe the board with your infiltrators and, you know, ruin your day. So it's uh, it's it's a very fun battle because it has so many different things that you need to think about, but they all make sense and can affect each other.
0: Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, it's, it's involved, but, uh, I can see why this would be a ton of fun. This is one of those things that takes a little while to set up, but once you've got it set up and you've got all the bomb markers and the different things going on, this is, this is this is quite a scenario you got set up here. This is mo- there's a lot more than just push it forward and 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 kill people. Yeah, it's probably the most
5: complex scenario. But you know, the original one was sort of complex, but didn't capture the spirit of the battle. So I made it a bit more, or a lot more complex. But trying to sort of capture that scenario and make it
0: really, really interesting and different well you i think you succeeded here in what i'm looking at i haven't had a chance to read it all as we're sitting here on on the uh on the phone with one another but this is just crazy this is crazy. this whole thing is crazy what am i talking about this one's crazy (laughs) this whole thing i i I just i'm i'm astounded at what you put together here i really am um and I just, like I said, as far as people doing other hobby stuff other than painting, this, this, is, this is pretty much the height of what I've seen so far, which is why I definitely I wanted to bring you on and have you talk about this. So my last question for you before I let you go, because I know you've got stuff to do, is what's next? What are you doing now? Well, my original plan was to create
5: a linked scenarios between pretty much the entire tome okay (laughs) or like a linked campaign system um and with the general's handbook i need to sit down with that and have a good long read and see if i can use that for this because there's no point in like doubling my my work and creating inventing my own system and everything and then well there's a lot of stuff i want to add to this really custom war scrolls for units that don't have them.
0: Yeah. So so this is not over by a long shot. You still you're still working this. Yeah. This is this is it's finished, it's released, it's got
5: all the rules. You can sit and play this and have stuff to play the next, you know, 3 years. So if you want to go and download it, but I I am not done with it yet. I hope. <laughs> right now I'm going to take a little break from it and consider what i really want to do with it well if people are still interested in you know stuff happening in the old world
0: well i tell you i am i think this is really cool i'm excited about it um i i can't i can't wait to see what you got coming up next so uh alex thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time out in of your evening to come on and talk with us about this um is there anything you else you wanted to plug or promote or anything? Or is this just all just TGA.community and search up uh, Battletome End Times? Yeah, get, get on TGA.
5: Everyone who's listening to this and not on the TGA forum, get on there. That's a lot of fun. Uh, and if you prefer other forums, I'm also a moderator over at the uh, Age of Sigmar uh, subreddit. And we do a lot of stuff, so get on there and uh, join that community if you prefer Reddit. And uh, otherwise, no, I think that's it, actually. Oh, and follow me on Twitter.
0: At Darth underscore Alec. A-L-E-C? C, C, yes. There you go. All right, folks, um, we'll be back. uh, And uh, I believe we're going to be back and wrap things up right after this. So uh, we'll be back in just a moment.
1: From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com.
0: Okay. Wow, what a show. Wow. Oh, I was not expecting it to go and be this much of a monster, but you know, I'm talking about everything. Man, a lot of hobby talk, but that's what happens when you don't talk hobby for like a month and a half on the show, and then you've suddenly got all this hobby to chit chat about. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank everybody who came on the show today uh, a, a cavalcade of guests. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Reese uh, from Frontline Gaming. Um, thank you to Steve Herner and to uh, to Alexander Nygard. All of you guys for coming on, talking about mats and tables and 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 terrain and and battle plans and all these different things. And guys, the links that we've mentioned earlier will all be in the show notes, so you can find them all in the show notes. Um, if you're listening to this, um, I know um, I listen to my podcast on Instacast on my iPhone and. The show notes show up right there in all the links. You should just be able to tap them right there on your iPhone and go right to them. Um, but otherwise, um, the links are in the show notes on your iTunes. They are in the uh, uh, the forum thread on uh, GarageHammer at garagehammer.net slash forum under this episode's show thread. Also on uh, tga.community under the GarageHammer show thread under their podcasts page. Um, go check them out, check out what they're doing. um everybody there got something to help you out uh with your hobby or with your tournaments or with something to do with your hobby. You can find something interesting at their places Um, yeah, wow, what a show i'm dude i'm I'm overwhelmed I'm exhausted. It's been crazy, you know, just been doing nothing but recording for the past couple of days, talking to this person, that person, the other person. So let me wrap this up, I guess. Um, So before I finish up, you know, thanks again. Please, uh, if you're listening, uh, you know, leaving a review on iTunes would be really cool. Um, We haven't gotten too many uh, that, um, that recently. It would be really cool. If you guys would leave me a review on iTunes, or even more importantly than an iTunes review, um, if, if you if you have friends who play or are thinking of playing or even like the hobby and they don't listen, get them to listen. <laughs> yeah, um, because um, I like to ha- I like listeners more than I like iTunes reviews. So that would be really cool. Uh, also, one last uh, shameless plug uh, for the Patreon page: Patreon.com dot slash Garage Hammer. Um, really seriously, we put this up, and we had. We only had four goals set, and I thought they were lofty goals. Um, and we smashed the first one on day one, and we were getting close to the second one. Uh, and I just want to thank a couple of people, uh, you know, uh, that were in there day one. Like I posted up on Twitter and on the Facebook page: Jamie Searle, Jonathan Morale, Daniel Callahan, Jordan Carassa, Tyler Emerson, Phil Elliott, Dominic Reitman, and Dylan Smith. Um, you guys all jumped in. Um, right away and uh, on day one. These were my day one guys who were like, you know, these are people who would say, hey, you really need to be doing this. Why haven't you done it yet? Uh, My wife is still yelling at me. If you'd have put this up weeks ago, we would have already had it when you did the last episode. Now you're only doing one episode this month. You know, but these are guys who jumped in day one and I appreciate it. Um, Guys who jumped in at golden demon level. I always want to thank the guys who jump in. Golden Demon level, it's one of the things I promised to give you Mentioned mention. Uh, Dylan, who I just mentioned as day one, Golden Demon level, and Craig Bowles jumped in at uh, Golden Demon level. you got to have level names. I named them for painting. Um, these are guys who came in at, at one of the higher levels and, and uh, just made sure that they were in there. Um, so Golden Demon level guys, I always mention when you join, and I want to thank you. Um, and finally, the top level that we have in there is called Associate Producers. Uh, You can read all about what being an associate producer level of the show entails. Um, Basically, it's all the perks and benefits and rewards of being all the other levels. um, Plus, and um, you can find out about that on the Patreon page. But I want to thank Orion Taylor and David Lee and Shirley Tempel um, for jumping in and becoming associate producers of the show. Um, You three rock. Um, (laughs) you guys are crazy. Um, but um, you really love the show and you care about it, and you want to not only see it grow, but want to help. Excuse me, want to help guide uh, the show in the future. So here you are, as associate producers of the show. So want to thank you guys and everybody else. Show 150 coming back in August. Um, I'm still having trouble finding music. But I'm working on it So hopefully I'll have it next episode Hopefully I'll have it next episode Um, I'm still waiting to hear back from a few people That I'm trying to get music from Um, But I Am not worried Um, I have faith That I will have the music up and going And until next time folks Only the faithful will be triumphant Only the faithful will stand When all others fall And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've
1: been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through david at garagehammer.net you can reach me, that's Chris, through chrisu at garagehammer.net. And you can reach both of us through garagehammer at live.com. If you want to help support GarageHammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.